everybody, and welcome back to Prequelizers, aka Season 6 of Sequelizers. This is, in fact, the penultimate episode of the season. Get hyped for the big finale, ladies and gentlemen. But before we get mm-hmm. to that, I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me is Mr. Matthew Stogden. I think I'll try to fight gravity! There you go. <laughs> Am I through to the next round? Oh. You get the big like golden buzzer. You're through to the final. However, that works. Oh. I think I think that's America's Got Talent, isn't it? With the golden buzzer and the confetti I feel like and stuff. Britain's Got Talent as well, and I think it's a good thing. Sure. So, thank you. Speaking of people who would get golden buzzers, also joining us is Tim Matum. There's a lot of people out there with no brains, and they seem to have no problem talking. Hey. <laughs> Two very different approaches to the quotes this week. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> One's an assault. <laughs> uh, if you hadn't already guessed from the title of the episode and the vocal assault of Matthew Stogden, <laughs> we are in fact fixing Oz, the great and powerful. The, And we'll get into this sort of prequel, but not really due to copyright reasons <laughs> of the 1939 classic, the Wizard of Oz. It's shit. I hate it. <laughs> it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And you really got to kind of get into the fact that this has kind of been done so many times already. The fact that they came around to this in the 2010s, no less. Mm. Like if they'd have done this in the 60s, you'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. You're just kind of working with what you had. But to put this into perspective, Matt, you teased... Wicked there earlier, mm-hmm. the, the, the stage yes. play that explores the backstory of the witches and all this kind of stuff, which is predates this film quite considerably, which is based on a book, which also predates that whole thing. And also, L. Frank Baum, who wrote the, the whole Oz thing, wrote like 15 fucking books. Yeah, there's a whole... There's a whole world of Oz Most, out mostly there. Mostly going forward from uh, Dorothy's Very visit. So. If I, yeah. if I, I haven't There's, read most of them, but... Uh... Yeah, it, it's madness and chaos. And there's also a sequel in the 80s called Return to Oz, which was... Traumatising sequel. Traumatising, really dark, really weird, post-apocalyptic, and I'm not joking, it's post-apocalyptic puppets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's mad, it's absolutely mad. Most people actually consider it quite good, but it was really, really badly received at the time. Mm. And yeah, it's a whole fucking... The Oz canon as it is is a whole fucking mess. Mainly because MGM won't let anyone fucking touch it. And Disney has been clamouring at it since like the early 50s. They've been trying to do a live-action Oz of their own. They've tried to do a prequel. They tried to do a sequel. They tried to do all this stuff. Walt Disney, for whatever reason, was obsessed with Oz and trying to get it out of MGM's hands. To the point where, let's go straight to the actual film we're talking about. Take the Wicked Witch of the West and her green skin and her dress and all this kind of stuff. It has to be a different colour of green and a different dress than was in the original 1939 film. Because that's all copyrighted. So they can't even copy the colour of her skin or the dress that she wore, even though she's supposed to be the same character. It's mental. And the fact that they even went ahead with this is insane to me. Yeah, because if if I 
I'm recalling correctly, the actual uh, Oz books are now in public domain. Yes, they um, are. No, no one owns the copyrights to those. Correct. But MGM owns the copyright to things that are only uh, that are specific to its adaptation. They, for example, they own the fuck out of that. <laughs> the original in the books of Oz, Dorothy's slippers are silver. Correct. Uh, because yes. it's a weird satirical point about America switching from the gold standard to the silver standard or something the like that. The yellow brick road represents the gold standard. Yeah, yeah. So, but obviously they made they decided those wouldn't show up well enough on film or something. They, yeah, so, they because they were using Technicolor. They were like, yeah. no, we want something bright and dynamic and interesting. So they picked bright red. So the ruby slippers are very specific to the nineteen thirty nine Wizard of Oz, and so that becomes MGM's property. Is a very confusing. You know, I'd imagine that kind of uh, things like Peter Pan and stuff like that are in similar kind of tangles of of copyright and things like that, but. Um, you know, when people are like, oh, I don't know why, uh, you know, why Fox and Disney can't just sort it out or, or like Fox and Sony sharing Spider-Man. It's like that is actually pretty simple compared to what yeah. the tangle that is the Wizard of Oz writes. <laughs> Very much so. So this upsets and annoys me because the Wizard of Oz is a, an inverted comma, in inverted commas, classic. Yeah. I have a lot of problems with it's, that. It's film. one of the most successful films and influential films ever made. Yes. And of course, because of re-releases and things over the time, it's become one of the most, yeah, highest box office kind of thing as well. Well, not the, but very close to. And it, it, it's very much the kind of traumatizing shit that we show kids because we saw it when we were kids kind of thing. And you're <laughs> like, well, that's obviously how it goes. The circle of trauma is complete. Um, and it, it, it's... It was a very big, bold, bombastic film from the 30s and it accomplished a lot of things. And it was a time where the depression was rife in America. So, I mean, I was, you know, out of the Great Depression effectively, but still, you know, not stable. World War II had just broken out properly in Europe. Very weird time. And then this big, bright, colourful, simple film comes out of nowhere and dazzles people. And it was transportative and it was a really important thing for a lot of people. I think there are a lot of issues with it. I think it's aged interestingly. I agree. I rewatched um, it for this episode and it was uh I the first thing I noticed was, oh yeah, I know this story like beat for beat, every <laughs> word of every song, and I haven't watched this song in as long as I can remember. I haven't watched mm -hmm. this film, sorry, as long as I can remember. But I know all the words to all the songs. I know every character. I'm like, God, this is so ingrained in pop culture. Holy mm. shit, this mm. is so, like, just melded into my brain from before I can even process that I'm what I'm watching in front of my eyes. Like, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous. But, Which is impressive. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it has almost like a... Compared to many of the other films, you know, we've talked about some classics. We've, we've covered the Godfather series on this show, for God's sakes. We've talked about yeah, classics. Yeah. But I think... The, nothing quite compares to the unless we start doing like a prequel or a sequel to the sound of music or something like that or something mm. <laughs> or, or got a bit like the Shawshank Redemption some one of the other like completely lauded and absolutely adored films but yeah it, it's a weird one because like you said Matt it really hasn't aged it's such a project product of the late thirties and just mm. people just singing and dancing for no fucking reason which is just they then they do it like every couple of sentences is just like oh mm. better go sing and dance now and talk to my friends it's like okay yep 
Yeah. And stuff just kind of happens. Like people like I mean, spoilers for a <laughs> an 80-year-old <laughs> film at this point like the Wicked Witch of the West just melts and I remember thinking and again I'm going through the filter of my pop culture of the 90s thing the sure. I'm melting oh what a world what a world <laughs> like yeah. people do that now as kind of a bit of a joke that is mm. absolutely how it's delivered in the original <laughs> they are not hamming it up there's no fuck, oh. there's no pissing about that she fully goes I'm melting oh what a world what a world <laughs> Describe everything that's happening to me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Everybody describes everything that's happening on screen, either through song or through dialogue or both. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's it's clearly a product of its time, but you can't deny the influence it's had and the, the catchiness of the songs and the incredible technology it was using at the time and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, see, sorry, Sam, sorry. Go on, Tim. I mean, I think it... it I, I would probably look on it a lot more favourably than it sounds like you two do because I think it does mm. hold up to the extent that if you show it to kids and quite like it's like you say it's something that we show to quite young kids like age like five or six kind of thing and I think mm. it does get its hooks into mm. them because of I the I, I think that it it's designed you know as much as it was a massive like broad appeal here and you know you ask most people oh is the Wizard of Oz a good film most people be like yeah yeah it's good. Mm. Um, it is very much for that age group and it's very um you know you said things just happen it's very fairy tale like in the way it it's is, structured absolutely. where like you know oh you know and the the moral is you know you have the whole the the powers inside you the whole time you didn't actually need to do any of this is is a very like fairy tale kind of ending <clears throat> of just like oh no now you've now you know and and you can just do it and and the the resolution to a lot of the drama, you know, like, you know, the Wicked Witch gets a bucket of water spilled over her and stuff like that. Sure. You know, it's it judging it by today's standards and what we expect from a big Hollywood film it is very strange. Oh, but yeah, I think both by both the standards of the time and also by looking at it through that very fairy tale storytelling uh, type lens. I think it. I think it does hold up, and I think you know. And and like we say, the the imagery of it is so iconic. The performances are great. The songs are great. Um, so I think there's definitely bits in it which are less remembered in pop culture. And when you do sit down and watch the whole film, you're just like, oh, this bit's a bit weird. I'd forgotten about this bit. Yeah. Mm. I I I think it. You know, like we say, it's it's a classic for a reason. I I think my. <sighs> Not aversion to it, but I think my concerns and problems come about because this is a film from the 30s and the standards of how films were made were very different. So obviously unions then were operating the same way. So when I think of things like the film, the production design seems initially fucking amazing. And then you're like, yeah, a lot of people nearly died on this film. And <laughs> those horses were like just genuinely the, the horse of changing colors. Blah, 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 blah. How do you do that? Just spray paint a horse. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. That sounds really bad. Dama. So what about this, um, this, the silver, the tin man sort of paint silver. Don't worry. It's kind of feels like it's burning his skin. Don't worry about it. You'll live. And then to get another person. In. Yeah. The, the, then, the original actor was replaced because mm, he was allergic yeah. to the paint. And then obviously the, uh, Hamilton who played the, um, the wicked witch of the West nearly getting her fucking skin burnt the fuck off yep. because of the, the pyrotechnic. So things like that, for example, I think it's the, the things that don't impact the actual film itself or the enjoyment of the film, but how it's constructed, which let's face it, is most films, 
once you start becoming aware of this sort of knowledge, and also the thing that's, and I'm not going to comment on this too much because everyone involved is dead, so who the fuck knows, but there was lots of accusations of sexual assault and molestation and the, na- the nature of um, using the, uh, the little people dwarf community. They were abused, but also abusive, and according to Garland, they were all drunks, and I was like, well, is that true or not? And then maybe they uh, sexually molested her, and it's like, what the fuck? There's so <laughs> much that you just don't know. But then also, without sounding dismissive, 1939 old fucking Hollywood. That shit was everywhere. Yeah. So it's kind of part of the thing. But yeah. Yeah, I think I think obviously not to diminish, you know, stuff that people went through, but I think the reason we know that much about The Wizard of Oz is because it is such an iconic film and Entirely. you know and, and there have been people who want to explore the history of the production and stuff around it. Mm. I think if mm. you d- dug under the surface of pretty much any film back then, yeah. it would be uh health and safety atrocities and awful uh treatment of people especially any people of uh you know marginalized communities and things like that and and actresses you know working in awful abusive conditions and stuff like that and obviously god knows judy garland you know struggled you know for the rest Mm. of her life basically you know with various issues um fun fun fact going back to the silver paint uh, I was actually the Tin Man in a school play uh, oh, in Year amazing. Seven, and uh, so I had very elaborate uh, cardboard spray painted silver like Tin Man suit, and then also had to have silver face paint and silver hairspray on as well. And like every night for like two weeks or whatever, I would come home. And just like have to shower it off uh, in the evening, um, and just like clog your gum, drains. yeah, <laughs> completely gum up our drains with uh, with silver. Luckily, it wasn't as caustic as it was back then. But um, yeah, <laughs> I feel like we should see some pictures of this, but I don't know if they exist. Um, I hope they do. But let's not dwell too much on the 1939 film, although mm. that that is the thing. It casts we'll be, the huge we'll, shadow over it this. It casts yeah. the biggest shadow possible, basically. Yeah. And that is the problem, also, because it's been a, the way it's been adopted. Because from the 50s and 60s onwards, I think it's the 50s and 60s at this point, it becomes the, the, basically the pinnacle of the entire LGBT community. Whether it wanted it or not, it was like, this is us. There's so much symbolism. It was, so it was, in, the mid, it was in the mid-50s. It was, was rebroadcast on TV. One of the, one mm, of the networks mm. got the rights to it and was like, this is a big deal. We have a feature film on our network that is, mm-hmm. you know, this because mm. it didn't actually blow people out of the water when it first came out. Like no, it didn't really. take over the world. But since then, all its, you know, rebroadcastings and re um, mm. going back into the cinema. Because as yeah. you know, as you know, before the time of home video and all that kind of stuff, the only way you see a film again is if it comes back around into another theater and you mm. go and see it. Oh, we'll rerun The Wizard of Oz in the forties or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, so you can go and see it again. <laughs> Otherwise, you see it once and then never. <laughs> like, like we're weirdly seeing now, uh, post uh, as we as as the lockdown eases up and you've got like, oh look, Lord of the Rings is showing back in the cinemas and stuff like that. It's like that's what it used to be like. Just yeah. that was your option if you wanted to see a film again. You see old films, yeah, exactly. Although they are the extended cuts, and I've never seen that on screen, the big screen. I was curious. But I'm still not going back to the cinema yet. Still not going back yet. And uh, I love Lord of the Rings. One of my favourite trilogies ever. But mm. extended cuts are a bit too long. Just just putting it out there. 
That's just, we just, can go just, back to just a hot take. Yeah, we've got to say about that one. Um, That'll be yes, a whole episode of its own, I think, about director's entirely. cuts and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's a, either a Patreon bonus or an interseason, definitely. No, so yeah, Wizard of Oz is iconic for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, good or bad, almost every motherfucker has seen it. Yep. And they haven't seen it, they know some of the references. They know most of the things. Like, and, and again, it's ingrained in our culture in the same way that Shakespeare is, where you end up saying something and saying, oh, that's from Shakespeare. And it's like, is it? Or mm. the Bible. Like, you know, oh, I wash my hands of this. Ah, oh, the Bible. Because it's the nature of society. Flying monkeys and all sorts of things like that. They, they become things you're just, although there's no place like home, there's, there's just phrases that you kind of just don't realize kind of into the subculture so much. Hey, they're just immersed. I got that reference. Hey. hey. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, and that's kind of the point because you don't even need to. I got that reference and then explain what the reference is for kids because it's yeah. like, yeah, fuck it. Most people will get it. Or an adult will turn and say, Where's the divorce? I'll show you later. Um, <laughs> and, and then, uh, yeah. Then, don't. then we travel all the way forward to the wonderful year of 2013 for yeah. Oz the Great and Powerful. When James Franco was at his most dominant, James Franco-ish, he's <laughs> just—he just does his little stoner smile for like an hour and a half in this film. Like, Why are you in this movie? Like, go off and make your weird art school bullshit that you like to do. Go off and do that. You've got all the money anyway. You'll be fine. Mm. Let let Dave Franco take over a couple of roles. It'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, like this film is so. I mean, we're going to talk about Sam Raimi's director, because I know, Matt, you have a lot of opinions on this when we first brought this up. I do. But I want to start with the cast, because in theory, it's a pretty star-studded cast. Like, you've got a pretty nice balance of, like, you mentioned Franco as the lead, you've got Mila Kunis, Rachel Weisz, Michelle Williams, Zach Braff. That's a pretty good lineup, even Mm -hmm. by 2013 standards, Mm. but, like... God, they're just so weirdly cast and the, the performances are almost unanimously terrible. Like, me, this might be the worst Mila Kunis performance I've ever seen. And, and so I'm not a huge... She was in um, Black Swan and got, like, you know, rave yeah. reviews for her. And I, I think yeah. she's, the, she's, she's the better thing in Black Swan. Like, she's better than Natalie Portman in Black Swan, Ooh, in my opinion. But her performance as Theodora is just, just shit. Just utter bollocks. <laughs> And she does the whole like crying thing and like, oh no, it's the wet makes me makes me scar up and then I eat an apple and I turn green and, and by the way, there's no canon way of her turning green, so every different version completely makes it up sometimes. She's born with it. Sometimes, such as in uh Once Upon a Time, the T V yeah. show, she literally goes green with envy. <laughs> Rumpel Stiltskin, I'm not making this up, played by Robert Carlyle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh you're, you're looking, and he, I think he kills her in the end. He like stabs her or something. It's Rob Once Upon a Time is mad. Yeah. But this fucking story has been done so many different ways. And I will get to this when we get to the pitch because, spoiler alert, I'm the one that's fixing this thing. Yeah. I came up with some really weird batshit ideas. They've all been done. I'm like, <laughs> shit. Okay. I thought I came up with like, okay, this is the most sequelizery. Jack's just being an idiot. This is going to be hilarious. Nope. Yeah. Sorry, we'll we'll get to that later on. But Rachel Weiss, she's fine. Like meh, meh. She's not given much to do. Yeah. Michelle Williams is given absolutely nothing as Glinda. Mm. Glinda <laughs> is like barely in this fucking film, mm. and it's just like. Why is any of this 
happening. But and and we have another problem in the canon that Baum never intended for Oz to be a dreamland, but in the film, yeah, it's a dreamland. So. Uh, how does he get there with his hot air balloon? And like, you really quickly have to just jump to a bunch of conclusions and be like, no, no, fuck it. It's fine. He, he, he's just there. Cause he mentions that in the film. So that bit is canon is I came here on a hot air balloon yeah. against my own will. Mm. And I ended up taking up the mantle of the wizard of Oz just because I was a nice guy and said I would. That's like all the backstory you get about him basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's also the fortune teller in real life. You're like, wait, wh- okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> So did he try? Oh, fucking hell! This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And to be fair to Oz the Great and Powerful, they kind of just chuck that all out the window because, <laughs> as I said, this is a spirit. It's not allowed to be a proper prequel. It has to be a spiritual prequel, mm. in quotes, because it's not allowed to be an actual authorized official prequel. No, no. And it's just like there's so many weird. Characters that like, oh, they later become this character where they turn into the, like the Tinker makes the Tin Woodman, like he makes Tin Man later on. But like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, I don't really, that doesn't really <laughs> affect anything. I will say, I like the China doll. I think that that's the a, one that's thing a, that unites everybody, I think. That's, mm. yeah. When, when I was watching and reading reviews and stuff, I was going, obviously, going, doing my usual thing of watching a bunch of YouTube videos and mm, sure, sure. What, are, what, are, what are the other critics and reading Ebert and Kermode and all those guys? Like, what did you guys think of this? It's like, okay, everybody did hate it and that's good. <laughs> but the one that sticks out to me more than anything else, not, not quite the elephant in the room, but maybe the winged monkey in the room, Ooh. is Zach fucking Braff. Ugh. Why? First of all, why is this character in the film? Just because, I mean, I know why because people think of Oz and think of flying monkeys, mm. but they're evil. <laughs> He's just a random, and even like Franco, and I feel like this is James Franco, not Oz, saying this is like, why is there a monkey dressed like a bellboy? Like, <laughs> good, good fucking question, Oscar Diggs. I don't know because. Nobody fucking knows because this film doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm-hmm. It ignore it, ha- it kind of has to ignore the canon of the original one, and then also try and play into that as much as possible so the audience can tell what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. And then they're just like, "Ah, we'll just throw out a bunch of rubbish," and and, and Michelle Williams will show up and everything will be fine. You're like, "What? What? What is going on?" Oh God. Okay, so. I think you're right. I think the cast is an interesting mix of interesting names. I think ultimately they are all a product of circumstance, IOUs and favours, in my opinion. <laughs> um, no, but and I don't want to sound insulting, but I don't think anyone there is the first choice. And not because they're not good as an actor, because I think all of them, everyone, Braff, Williams, Vice, everybody, wow. have all shown good performances in other things. I, I know Franco actors. wasn't the first choice. Can you guess no. who was the first? Can you guess who was no, the I first choice? I know, I know the, I know the, I have two choices. There's, I know. A, there's a couple the, of different they choices. Were the obvious yeah. ones at this point because it was 2013, <sighs> and it was Disney, and they were like, "Who's channeling our big stuff? We got Marvel and we got the pirates." Mm. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder what we could do, like some, some kind of quirky like dude and he's sort of middle-aged i guess is like he's a proven celebrity oh, drawer and stuff like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but like you know no same age as james franco it's fine but like you know you know perpetually 35 slash 55 it's fine yes. audience maybe we could i don't know get like um get get the guy from doodle let's get let's get let's get robert downey jr <laughs> like, 
okay, right. That's a that's, I can mm, I can see what you're doing, but that would go horribly wrong. But sure, well, let's let's get a good old, good old uh, Tonto from the Lone Ranger in here, like <laughs> Toto Tonto Tonto Toto. Yeah, same thing. It's like let's get Johnny Depp. Like no, no, they're both terrible. Have you not seen Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? He's terrible. <laughs> yeah. He's been terrible for years. It's a classic producer's pitch of like, get that guy. He's the best. He can do it. It's like we'll we'll pin the whole pitch yeah. on his name and his name alone. Like, fuck oh it. god, I'm so glad we didn't like <laughs> Johnny Depp. Jo- Oz. Can like, you imagine? Downey Jr. probably would have a little bit as much as he, he did in Doolittle. He, he would have been fine. He, yeah. he, 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 I, I'd imagine that he would kind of. It would be a sort of a bit like his Sherlock Holmes kind of performance. Um, okay. Yeah, I can imagine that. Oh God, Johnny Depp would have just done something awful and atrocious, and <laughs> he just would have been Captain Jack because and Oz else. would have had like a purple wig or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Yes, he would have had I a green mustache and a purple wig. He would have put his um, is it black mask? I can't think of this. Uh, his his, his uh, <laughs> makeup on from that film, um, Whitey Bulger. He, Exactly, and oh, it's just this thing. I want like an old man who's balding, and it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, you're I mean, fi- you're fifty something, Johnny. Like, wait yeah. a couple of years, you'll be fine. <laughs> you're nearly there, um, like. But the truth, I think, is is really this comes down to, I want to say three people, three people I want to talk about, and they're not actors, unfortunately, because I think all of them are a product of. Oh, okay, let's get this guy in the room. It's like mm, they've, they've turned it down. Ah, oh, shit. The, the the casting, when you look at it, apart from James Franco, who I don't think any of us particularly care for, although he's done <laughs> yeah. some good things in the past, you know, stuff, in but... in the right role. I I don't yeah. he he doesn't fit this role, but you know, no. The casting is kind of it feels very sequelizery. You know, if you if you'd have come mm. to this with this film and we'd have gone like, oh yeah, we're going to have Rachel Vice as the you know the Wicked Witch of the East and, and we'd all go, hmm, okay, yeah, okay. and and, mm-hmm. uh, and Michelle Williams as Glinda. It's like, oh okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I like Michelle Williams. She's been good. Yeah, yeah, you know that that all kind of makes sense, but it <laughs> just like, doesn't. Hear me out. I've got yeah. one of these, and you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. like, Franco did this. Zach Braff is a monkey. Like, yeah, I, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Close your eyes. You see his voice. It's fine. Oh god, that's a good point. It's a good point. My three people are. Well, one's not a person, one's a company. The first is uh, is Mitchell Kapner. We rarely talk about this. We rarely talk about the writer. Because we, we are the writer. <laughs> we are the writer. And we fix but it, we are the writer. The scripts are a very important part of the industry we don't talk about because mm. it's it's so hard to... to I mean, the conceit of sequelizers, we say, oh, this, 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 and we'll do this, and it'll be very interesting, and it'll be a big exploration, blah, blah. But the way the Hollywood machine works it's a lot more collaborative than we sometimes give credit for. Mm. And the screenwriters and the script and the story go through so much in terms of treatment and mm. writing and, and writing when it's been filmed. We, we which dug into it a little bit in our Wolverine, you know, which is where another Precisely. one where we did look at the writers. The because, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's Curse kind of, of the, the three th- Davids. Yeah, exactly. So Mitchell Kepner is a guy who wanted to write a thing for a long time about Wizard of Oz. He just, just wanted to, apparently. And Why is Disney... Weird? People fucking love it. They just want to do it. Just want to do it. Leave it and alone. Disney it's fine. Commissioned him to do it, and his writing credits up to that point, if I remember correctly, are the whole nine yards, the whole ten yards. Romeo must die, and I want to say something else. And, I'm, <laughs> and I never begrudge anybody who's come out of nowhere. And if I, and if you're like you do like a sequel as a pitch, who are you directing this one? This person. But they've never done a film like this before. It's like, yeah. And David Fincher didn't do a Fight Club before he did Fight Club. What's your point? Um, it's it's just, you know, sometimes that's your first project and it's the right fit. Mm. 
but some people need the evidence of it before. And the same thing with actors, like, I can't believe they played that kind of role. It's like, yeah, of course, because they haven't seen that role. But Captain wanted to write it and, and Disney signed off on it. And Disney is the second problem. So you've got Captain here who's got his very much, I want to make a Wizard of Oz prequel, a Wizard of Oz story. It's like, do you mean the books? Mm. No, the films. You can't have those. Because as we just saying, it's covered the rights issues are a big thing. So all the things MGM, you love about you'll have Oz, to pry that out of exactly. Goldwyn, whoever's left, like of a descendant of the original <laughs> crew. There pry must be MGM are struggling. So there's got to be. I mean, the the fact that MGM haven't really done anything with it. There's got to be some high up executive somewhere who's like. Over my dead body, are we doing anything? Absolutely, we are yeah. not tarnishing the legacy of Wizard of Oz, and yeah, no Wizard one else can MGM, fucking touch yeah. it either. It's pissing contest between old white men, almost, <laughs> almost exclusively. Like, oh, comes a hard kid. Um, yeah, and exclusively that that tends to be it. So that's that will never see in a Paramount logo over it. My dead body, not even in a corporate as an MGM. It's like the same thing I think about Bond, for example. Bond without MGM is unheard of. <laughs> that kind of, you know, Rip Torn style voice. <laughs> I'd rather see him suck my own asshole into an oblivion. Fuck you and fuck that. And slam a door. And then stuff happens. So Disney are arguably, despite the, hey, we're Imagineers. Look at all this cool, crazy stuff. They we own everything same, now. Yeah, the same Except Oz. Thing. I want to own Oz. And that's I own exactly everything else. Get me Oz. That, that's exactly Australia, what happened sir? in the 50s. No, that's useless. <laughs> get me the Wizard of Oz. Apparently that's exactly what happened in the 50s. It was just yeah. like, get me Oz. I want Oz. I want to do a sequel to Oz. And they were like, no, Walt, fuck off. I'm like, well, well, it's tough. I want it. I've, I've, look at all the cool stuff I've done. Like, <laughs> we don't care. I want to do an animated one. We don't care. Fuck off, Walt. Leave us alone. That was the problem we had with, with Mary Poppins. It was the whole, people like, I don't want you Disneyifying it. And they still have problem now. I don't want you Disneyifying it. I don't want you making this thing. But Disney had made at this point the fucking Alice in Wonderland film. Mm-hmm. And yep. it made a billion. And the third person I want to bring into my little brownie fest <laughs> is Sam Raimi. Ah, oh, here we go. Now, I obviously love Sam Raimi. I am an independent filmmaker. Kevin Smith and Sam Raimi and a few other individuals are questionable individuals in terms of who they are in all, you know, uh, in all truth. But they are individuals who wanted to have fun making a movie, made it off their own back from film school, and went on to be huge successes because of it and made what they wanted to do and did big projects because of it. You know, Smith went off and wrote for Marvel Comics for a time doing mm. like um, stuff. And has, d- well. has directed DC TV shows and exactly. all this kind of stuff. He lives yeah. his fucking dream. He's living and the dream. Raimi directed some of the best Spider-Man films as far as most mm. of the public are concerned, etc. One, so one of the best Spider-Man films. And, and, and one of the worst. <laughs> I also really like things like The Gift. Uh, I think he's a really talented director. Uh, I think he also gets a bit stuck mm. up his own bumhole. And when I first heard Raimi was on, I thought, ah, oh, that could be very interesting. And then I saw it and said, oh no, it, no, to, to connect that back to Tim's earlier point, that sounds so sequelizing. That's like it does. Can you imagine we'd be like, I picked a director. We're like, okay, it, what in 2013? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing a prequel to Oz in in 2013. I'm doing Sam fucking Raimi, and we'd all go, <laughs> oh my god, what the Evil Dead guy, Spider Man guy? Oh my god, this genius, amazing! What, what an interesting concept! I can't believe who would have thought to pair up Sam Raimi in the world of Oz. Like, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have done that. 
<laughs> Maybe and we should. I'm very surprised by this because this film wasn't a great success, critically or commercially, if I remember correctly. Because they essentially did an Oz in Wonderland thing. Uh, it had the exact same uh, textural feel as Burton's Alice in Wonderland. And frankly, it looks bad most of the time. It does. Mm. It does. The makeup is bad. A lot of the CGI is bad. And this, by the way, is a $200 million mm. budget. This is one of the highest budget films ever made. <laughs> it's in, it's 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 insane how how weird and kind of mishmash the effects mm. look. Like, like I said, China Doll works really well. She's got she's all shiny and stuff. You can do shiny surfaces with CGI <laughs> nice and easily. And then that fucking monkey shows up. <laughs> and that fucking tiger shows up. And all this bullshit. And it's just like and then the munchkins show up and they're in these, like, on stilts or whatever. It's like... Uh, I thought Disney would have learned their lesson. Uh, but then they went on to do The Nutcracker and the Four Realms a couple of years ago. Um, Alice in Wonderland, I don't uh, particularly like. I think it's fine. Then Oz the Great and Powerful came out. And while I was initially liked some of the transitional stuff, the, you know, the 4-3 CPS... That's a really cool the, idea, yeah. And the production design... It all just felt very fake and a tad familiar in a bad way. And then I saw Nutcracker. Yeah, you, you could you could swap the the Bandersnatch or the Fluffalumps or whatever the fuck they're called <laughs> and just chuck them from one film to another and you would not notice. Yeah. And it's the same the Alice in Wonderland. Studio, so of course yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All, the, yeah. all the fucking wacky giant-mouthed cat monsters and whatever else all just look exactly the same. They've got the same fur technology. They've all got like, oh, well, some of them are spotted, some of them are striped. Isn't it original? Wee-hee. <laughs> it's like, no, this is 2010 CGI, like, condensed into a little pinpoint of like, this is a bad example of this. This is why CGI isn't the answer to all your fucking problems. Yeah. It's a tool. It's not the only tool. And that homogenization, that cookie-cutter print of like, just do X, Y, Z, and you get a great film, i.e. a billion dollars with Alice in Wonderland. It's got to happen again, right? Well, Oz didn't make... I think it made half that, or whatever it was. Yeah, Oz, Oz, Oz made um, about half a billion. So, for like, 493, yeah. something around yeah. like that. Not, yeah. not good, but better than subpar. It just about made us better. They're, they're working on a sequel, maybe. Oh, it's been announced. Also, Kapner's also coming back, and Raimi's also rumoured to come back, so... Yeah, great. That's what we want. But just to cap this off, the, the Nutcracker felt like they realised they'd gone too far and, you know, can't do that again. And that one didn't make its budget back as far as I remember. And this is why when people, you know, elated people came to me and said, yes, Sam Raimi's directing Doctor Strange 2. And I said, oh, shit. This, this is how the conversation came up. Because at the time, I had not seen Oz the Great and Powerful because I only watched this film for this episode. And I was like, Matt, Sam Raimi's doing Doctor Strange. And you were like, great. Have you seen Oz? And I was like, no. Why would I have seen that? Go watch it and come back to me. I'm like, why? What do you mean? It's like, well, you've got to do it for sequel ads anyway, motherfucker. So go and watch it anyway. And then come back to me. And then turn that excitement down by like six notches. And be like, oh, oh no. Okay. Oh, I'm not sure if I want a 2020s Sam Raimi directing a Doctor Strange. I mean, it's the most recent thing Raimi's directed. Dragon to Hell's fine. It's his most uh, recent reference, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, see, I, I don't care for Drag Me to Hell. I think if you look at Sam Raimi's 
filmography. Ooh. I think the last good film he made was Spider-Man 2, which was in 2004. That's that's fair. I, I should clarify. Drag Me to Hell is fine to watch, yeah. but it's not an especially good film. But yeah, Spider-Man yeah. 2, which was 16 fucking years ago, was probably the yeah. last film he made. Was the last yeah. good film. I agree, Tim. And I that's, agree. That's, that's, that's a long... You know, directors can have gaps that big and come back and still produce amazing work, but I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I feel like him... There's a whole kind of politics of, like, uh, of uh, the horror scene having quite a tight-knit group of directors and the fact that um, Scott Derrickson got kind of uh, screwed over, uh, it seems, with the Doctor Strange sequel. But, yeah, I mean... To, to, to bring us back to Oz, like the other thing about Sam Raimi's influence on this particular film is, uh, it's just an army of it's just army of darkness again. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's so yeah, weird. It's, it fucking it's, is. It's oh look, uh, here is a uh, a strange uh, a person from uh, America who is transported to a fantasy land uh, and doesn't know how to get home, but there's a threat to the fantasy people that he encounters. And so he helps them train up to be a army and uses kind of trickery and mechanical things to scare off the enemy. And there's a love interest who becomes a literal witch yes. in both of them. <laughs> so my so my pitch is exactly I, the same. I've just recast with Bruce Campbell. Just letting you guys know. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I don't fact, actually I mean I must admit, if I would not be surprised if Raimi had his way, Campbell would have been Oz, Campbell, Campbell's in this. Okay. He's in the film, but oh, no, thankfully yeah. he's not. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. I'd, I don't know. I'd like to have seen him get, get the does, shotgun uh, arm going and it'll be fine. Does Sam Raimi's famous car appear in this one? Like disguised as a wagon? It or must do, it, right? It must do. Because it's, it's in every other yeah. film that he's done, um, including stuff like The Quick and the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Too much conflicting information on Google, so maybe. His Oldsmobile, um. but 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 thinking about that, like how so clearly this is him taking a template that's worked for him before and and applying it again, and going back to this kind of collaborative nature, you've got to assume that the guy who was like it's his life's dream to make a new Oz film, that he did not, he is not the one who has who has basically taken Army of Darkness and reskinned it, so. You've got to wonder what kind of compromises were made there of him saying, okay, well, I guess, yeah, this is still my script, even if it's like the plot has been completely reworked or something. This is why we focus so heavily on our director picks for our pitches, because they're often very big personalities. The hand of the writer often becomes the hand of the director. Uh, as we discussed in the solo episode, you can say the studio control everything, but the person telling the camera where to be pointed is the director i mean you either have someone who relies on a great team mm. yeah disappears into the background or you get people like oh, and i hate to make this reference i apologize, I apologize in advance Zack snyder oh, <laughs> no. recently said drink everybody drink rather burn the whole film to the ground yeah than use a single image that mm. he didn't shoot himself and there's an integrity to that that I respect. <laughs> arrogance, I do not. And that's, you know, directors all the fuck over. Speaking, <laughs> that's, one. that's why second units are always very interesting. It's like, well, what about your ADs and second mm. units? They're people you trust to go shoot stuff. Yeah. And you go, yeah, that's good, thanks. 
and your your cinematographers are important parts of DPs. And there's, it's an industry. Yeah. It's a big fucking thing unless you're a small independent project. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was th- th- this guy um, who was basically working on the um, this idea, Kapner, for so very long, who had so many concepts of what he wanted to do. I bet he was just like, I want to tell a story about Oz. It was so cool. We could have him meeting on the three different witches. It was so great. I think that might have been his push. And then even the Army of Darkness stuff, the simplicity of it, it's still going to have to be a guy crashes in a balloon in this magical realm, helps out. But Raimi's influence and Raimi, the choice to put Raimi in there dictates how the film goes, basically. Mm. And, it's, and it's odd because to go back to how Oz feels so much like a fairy tale and the, 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 the kind of the story logic of it isn't necessarily that strong. Like we said, stuff just kind of happens. Is so counter to the, you know... The, the nature of this kind of plot of, you know, oh, I'm going to sort of um, do a trick because I understand science and things um, and the enemy and the, the, the opposing forces don't. That is so counter to what Oz, the kingdom, stands for. Like, you, like part of me is like, but science shouldn't work there. Like, it is this fairy tale <laughs> realm. Like, you should not. Yeah, you should not be able to do that kind of stuff. Um, There's a whole thing where, like, that world is so ill-defined in the original one. Mm. It's just like, they wander around here, and then there's a magical poppy field, and then she saves them, then they're in the Emerald City. And I was sat there, again, I'm going to get into my pitch later on, but thinking about, like, the geography of Oz, I'm like... So that, how long do they walk for? Yeah. How far is it? Is Oz like a mile across the entire thing? Because they get there in like half an hour. But <laughs> That's a lot of the Rings fan. Yeah. Where's my map? Exactly. And like there, there are maps of Oz and there's yeah. the I, official one from L. Frank Baum and there's other ones that are like based on the film and based on the books and based on the musical based on the book that's based on the film that's based on the musical and all this shit. And you're like, oh, okay, right. How about I'm just going to like pick and choose bits and throw this all out the window because the canon and the rules and the world is so just mishmash at this point. And he's just like, I don't know what matters anymore. I don't know who's who. Fuck it. Let's just, just, just chuck stuff together. And to be fair to them, I think that's kind of what they did for this film as well. There's something else I don't particularly like about this movie. You, you can say this for a lot of adaptations and features based on existing properties. For most people, their experience of Baum's world is the 1939 movie. You can say, oh, did you know there's tons of extra content in book form? Nobody cares. Chronicles of Narnia, Mary Poppins, even like Lord of the Rings. The versions that Jackson and his team created were based on uh, Alan Lee. Alan Lee's artwork. But the end result of those films, how they look especially, will define how people see fantasy for generations. But Oz the Great and Powerful can't exist outside the original Wizard of Oz from, from 1939 because it's a yeah. powerful presence in our cultural collective consciousness. It's unavoidable, but yeah. Entirely, entirely. But there's also a bit of an inception problem here, which is that if you watch The Wizard of Oz and it's got the sepia stuff set in Kansas, then she falls over. Because, you know... She gets hit by a window, I think you'll find. (laughs) No, she falls over. So she gets knocked out, and then we go through the movie proper with the house falling to ours, etc. Then eventually, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, and and then I have a problem. 
She wakes up and you were there and you were there and you were there. And at the start of the film, much like this one, she meets all the characters that she meets in Oz. Fair enough. Apart from Glinda, which is weird to me, but... Uh, that's an idealised representation of white America. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Glinda is, uh, is Dorothy grown up. It's a time loop. Yes. It's actually Looper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. She's travelling back to kill herself. Yes. <laughs> as, as Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Oh, spoiling your own thing, dude. <laughs> oh, I wish I'd done a Looper tie-in. <laughs> so, there's a formula, basically. So, I, I mentioned I don't mind the sepia transition stuff, homaging and drawing heavily on The Wizard of Oz. Um, but I was watching the movie and I realised this was more than that. This is, in fact, exactly the same as The Wizard of Oz. So you see Michelle Williams, you see Zach Braff, and and it leads to, and you were there, yep. and you were there. His assistant is the monkey guy. And, yeah. Precisely. And, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there. As for something like Inception, there was this element of ambiguity of whether Dorothy went anywhere or if it was all in her head, you know. So, you know, is it a coma dream or something actually magical? This film kind of quantifies that. Obviously, he doesn't come back, so it's not exactly the same. But because we see him flying through a storm, it establishes that this is a place rather than a plane of existence. Furthermore, it isn't clever enough to treat the transition with a sense of mystery. He's a conscious and cognitive adult the whole time. There's no real questioning the validity of what's <laughs> happening to him. And then he stays in Oz until the events of the, of the 1939 film. You know, I'll, I'll see you back there. Obviously, I know there's coincidences and all bits and pieces. But because it did the exact same thing, the only difference is that he doesn't go back to his realm. He stays there. It cements the idea that Dorothy does go to Oz and comes back, except that doesn't work. I like the idea that it's partly in her head, part in fantasy, that, oh, well, it just must have been a dream, Dorothy, because, you know, kids don't... No, I did go there, it was real. But doing the exact same thing again, and I know it's not even the most important factor of this movie, but it fucks it so much, I'm like, oh, this is dumb on lots of levels, and it feels like something you say, right, come on, guys. Pitch me an idea. Uh, well, we'll just do the same thing again. Brilliant. Love it. Move on. <laughs> but if you stop and think about it and give it time to be talked over, you see the flaws. I mean, classic sequelizers. We bring the pitch to each other, or the other two, and we get it. You know, I love it. But does that mess with what's already been established as fact or, or canon? And you go, oh, shit. It does. And then we tweak it and rework it. I'm very much looking forward to that discussion <laughs> later. <laughs> but the truth is... Captain didn't write the script. Yeah, David Lindsay Abair was the co-writer as yes, well. Yes, yep. exactly, thank you. And there's a bit of collaborative thing going on, and obviously Raimi's hand is clearly involved. But that's the point. All that time they've been like, this is a great idea. I've wanted to do this film for the decades. And in all that time, did no one stop you and think, <laughs> no, this is a, it's a bad idea? Did nobody He's, a, he's a scientist from movie? Jurassic Park. <laughs> and things like that are the reason I think these adaptations keep falling on their face. So, um, Return to Oz iconic for some people I and mean, a bit of a cult following but the 70s one uh, uh 1978 <laughs> the whiz the goddamn whiz directed by sydney lumet sydney lumet it's it's like a it's like a sequelizer spit mm -hmm. lumet that's genius the guy's debut film was you know 12 angry men so one of the greatest films of all time and it's 1978 right so so yeah he's done dog day afternoon and 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 network a few years ago and oh my god with a purely african-american cast of course this is can only be amazing but no no, it, no, it's terrible. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think it, I don't want to. I don't want to say it's cursed. It's it's kind of cursed, but it's kind of it cursed. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So Jack, break the curse. I mean, yeah. After after everything else, I've done this <laughs> fucking season with the thing. <laughs> Just like, oh god, I don't want to do a thing prequel. I mean, the, again, the answer to this is you don't fucking do it. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing that we need to and 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 the one that has possibly escaped the curse, uh, I would suggest, and and probably the reason that this actually got made is wicked because because that so the book for that was written in 1995 it became a musical in 2003 and it has maintained its popularity since then i don't know if you guys have billions of it's made billions and billions of dollars it it reignited interest in the wizard of oz to a certain extent which is what this started as by the way that does not surprise me as it was cap it was capner uh reading Wicked, I think. Or no, he read the Oz. He read the Oz. He read the Oz books to his kids, and then found out that Wicked was a thing. Yeah, and went and read that book, and then learned about the musical a few years later, and was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! Brilliant! Let's do that!" Yeah, yeah. Nope. Because because see, I, I was going to say like, even if Kapner was hadn't hadn't been aware of it and or had started work on his project, you know, way in the past before before that kind of stuff, he could not help. He would obviously have been aware of Wicked, and I would imagine that that was, you know, even if it wasn't, didn't start life as it, that would have been the reason why Disney had would greenlight that kind of script is because there was this renewed interest. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have said, seen or, or read Wicked um, or know much. Yeah, I remember seeing it at the uh, Apollo Victoria in London, and I read the book back when I was a bookseller. I like it as a musical. I think it's quite fun. It's all right. I, I, my sister's absolutely obsessed with it. I have seen it once, um, and it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't grab me as much as uh, as it did her. But I was I was really surprised because that is it. It takes the uh, the thing uh, approach or a couple of other different prequels <laughs> that we've had, where it it literally takes you right up to the moment before Dorothy lands in Oz. Um, which And and afterwards as well, yeah, I believe, in uh, the books. Because it opens with Glinda telling the story of her sister or, or the, the Wicked Witch or whatever. Yeah, like, there's a, there's, I don't know if the musical does. I haven't seen the musical. Yeah, there's, there is some, there's some elements of crossover. Um, yeah. And I was, I remember being very surprised by that when I saw it because I assumed it was going to be kind of much more in the past dealing with the witch when she, you know, the witch and Glinda when they were young. Um, and but it actually brings it right up to crossing over with the film. Um, yeah, classic musical, the same actors play the roles at different ages, but it's never clear yeah, exactly. How they go to, to, and I quote, Shears University. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, to the Shears. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hate the names in this world. <laughs> but, you know, I th- we'll get to that later on. There's some mad shit in my pitch. This just—it's all based on bound <laughs> stuff. I promise, it's mad. But it does. It 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 raises that question of like, well, if if Wicked is the reason you're doing this, both from a oh, it makes financial sense to do it, and kind of the 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 interest lies in it. And initially, it was going to be a Wicked thing. Like, why not just fucking do Wicked? Like. I want to say right. Uh, yeah, you. I mean, obviously, that's that's one of the things, you know. And the, the but you're right. Watching the movie, I couldn't help but start humming "Defying Gravity" in my head, or at least playing in the background, and and wondering yeah. out loud, 
why isn't this yeah. just a story from Wicked? And I feel like I would have liked to have seen Sam Raimi do that. A really big camp mm, musical where everything is over the top. I mean, it really played with sort of style because you'd have a lot of dark stuff, a lot yeah. of fun stuff. And uh, the setting and production design is very lavish and, you know, there's a lot he could use. I'm I'm just reading the notes about Kapner here, so uh, I got it slightly wrong. He, when, when Wicked came out, the musical, he was annoyed he'd missed his opportunity to do... A Oz prequel because right. he, like you said, he'd been brewing it for decades yeah. at that point. He was so. He then met with the producer Joe Roth, who turned down all of his pitches. Is like, boy, have you got anything else? And then he pitches like the origin, the brief origin story that is touched upon in a later Oz book about the wizard himself. Mm-hmm. And then try it. It was like, well, let's do that then. Yeah, let's make, we need a male protagonist. And they specifically mentioned how how difficult it is to tell a fairy tale with a male protagonist. Oh, there's so, just aren't just, there just aren't what? enough films with male protagonists. No, you know? just so we, few we rules, uh, so few roles for straight white men in Hollywood nowadays. We we need more, if anything. Sticking with the whole <laughs> evil white men for for a minute, I hate this movie concludes with, oh, he was all right, wasn't he? No, no, he was a dick. He was a twat from the start and the end of this film, and he wasn't the original. And ultimately, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get myself in trouble again. Not, not one of the best twists, but kind of a twist. Is that, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I mean, it's think. no, the dog was a girl. Nope. Uh, never going to live that down. It's the idea that this all-powerful, terrifying, fire-spewing being and the dog, Toto, boy or girl, we'll never know. Pulls back the curtain and there's just this man, a quiet, old, white man moving some machines. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That, that, that image and that concept, because let's face it, this is all allegorical from book to film, is, is, is both powerful and iconic. Just this tired, old, white man pulling all the levers and all the theatrics <laughs> and pyrotechnics. He's just, just a guy. Just a guy. Although I will say, fuck, I don't remember his name. What's the actor's name? Uh, name? Morgan. The guy who plays Frank like Morgan. five roles in the film. Yes, thank you. Yeah. He's great. He's fantastic. He's, and he also <laughs> is like a guard and the carriage driver <laughs> and a bunch of other things. You're like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Yeah. That big scary thing, it's probably just an old white man's illusion. And you know what? You, you could probably take him. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably running a grift, you know. Yeah, exactly. And the con at the end of the film is just telling people that's bullshit and give you nothing. And you know what? You already had a brain. Here's a certified diploma. You know yeah. what? I've got to fly away now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just give you some some piecemeal bullshit. You know what? Uh, I'll give you two days of annual leave and access to the staff room. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm making $10 billion a day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, Jeff Bezos, the wizard. <laughs> Going to fly, fly off in my it? balloon <laughs> to my bunker in New Zealand. Uh, or more accurately fire off in my SpaceX rocket to yeah. Mars um, <laughs> with my buddy Elon that's a cool imagery but then the, the, he's still a dick and then we've got this character played by Franco who is a twat through and through from start to end but he does the same here it's a pocket knife that's for you, that's for you. <laughs> just, great just stab motherfuckers <laughs> what about you here it's a shiv I've whittled from a toothbrush <laughs> And There's I an old toothbrush. Ground it, ground it against the concrete wall until it was nice and pointy. You can use that to, you know, just like take out a motherfucker. You could either, uh, I guess you could either take it or I can give it to yeah. you. <laughs> this shiv's getting in you one way or another. Um, and then it's like, what about me? You're my friend. And what about you? You're my family. That 
is shit. But again, he's a bad person. But we're meant to believe at the end of it's like, oh, you know what? He's also buying Glenn of the Good Witch in the back. Everything worked out for that straight white guy. No, I don't think it should. I think he should be a prisoner. I think everything should go bad for him. I think the fact that... And also that he escapes in his balloon with all the gold. It's like, ah, but that was part of my plan. It's like, I don't think it was the first, but I think it was a plan B that worked out the way that it did. I think your plan A was just to get the fuck out of there with all the money, you piece of shit. He's a, he's a con artist, he's a grifter. He's a, but the problem is, he doesn't learn his lesson really. He kind of just gets away with it and gets everything he wants. And then tries to fly away for no reason in the yeah. original film. Yes. And I find that repugnant, but also fascinating, but also very, very frustrating. And to put it back through the filter of Wicked, I suppose. Please, yeah. He's the bad guy in Wicked. Yeah. He, yep. He's straight up the bad guy. He is the antagonist of that story, which kind yes. of makes sense. Completely. Yeah. Wicked is a very unfortunate story in the, in the sense that it's meant to be like, you know, the things you think are the way they are, they're not. And it's, it's a bit of a number. It's, it could have been avoided. It's unfortunate how it turned out. And you're like, oh, yeah, that is pretty shitty. And that just, you know, the, I, lo- I don't mind. That. That's something that prequels do give you. And I, and I hate prequels. I think we all do at this mm. point. But We're never doing prequelizers prequel- ever. <laughs> nope, fuck that bit shit in a bin. <laughs> um, but the idea of being able to go back and say the prism of everything you think you knew is wrong is quite nice. Mm. I, I do like that. I do like the idea that it's not necessary. And again, if you say, and that's just because that's how history works. The history you're told and the history that is, question mark, might be provable or otherwise, mm. is fascinating. Like, these are my heroes. These are my pillars. These are my bastions of society. Yeah, yeah. How much do you know about these people? Well, these two people told me everything about them was great. So I believed them. Citation needed, I think. <laughs> Before we get to my pitch, we get to fix this terrible prequel, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Stitcher Premium because Stitcher is not only a fantastic podcast app, a dedicated listening service for your podcasting needs and podcast listening needs. It is a fantastic premium service as well for just $4.99 per month or $34.99 per year you can get ad-free episodes of some of your favorite podcasts you can get bonus episodes from some of your favorite podcasts you get free comedy albums you get loads of extra stuff all included in a wonderful little package that is just like the cherry on top of the lovely package already that is Stitcher and you can get that by going to stitcher.com slash premium and use the checkout code sequelizers not prequelizers, don't worry, it is sequelizers. And you'll get an extra free month. So you get 13 months for $34.99. Isn't that a bargain? What's not to like? So before we get into my pitch, it's that time in the show we talk about some rotten goddamn tomatoes. And Whether they be yes, we- green as the Emerald City or red as the hey. ruby slippers. Fuck, well Fried done, Tim. green tomatoes well too. <laughs> Oz. We know Rotten Tomatoes is not an aggregate score. We are aware of this. We know how Rotten Tomatoes work. And if you don't know, Rotten Tomatoes basically works on a positive or negative system where if it's more than 5 out of 10 or 2.5 out of 5 or 50% or however you want to put it, it's considered a positive review. And the tomatometer, yes, that is the official term (laughs) used on the website, measures how many positive reviews a particular thing has received. So say, for example... It's received 90%. It's received 90% positive reviews. It's not an aggregate of 9 out of 10 or 90% out of 100%. It is a deeply flawed system. (laughs) 
But it's hilarious and makes no sense. And the fact that it exists, I find fascinating. It's a terrible fucking metric. And that's why we love it on this show. Yeah. Because it's stupid. And yeah, we keep being told over and over again. We're like, we know. Yeah, we know. We're yeah, trying but, to mention yeah, it. Like, we don't need to tell him me anymore. Metacritic's but... thing, right? I'm like, yeah, we know. We don't use Metacritic because that's not as funny. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you, I feel like you can kind of guess Metacritic stuff pretty easily. Yeah. yeah. And granted, some of these things do line up where it's like, it turns out to be a 75. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I can see that. If I was giving it a score, maybe I would give it a 75 out of 100, like if I was giving it a score. Anyway, let's go back to 1939, shall we, gentlemen? <sighs> what do you think? One of the all-time classics, one of the most influential, important films ever put to cinema, 1939's The Wizard of Oz. What is the tomatometer score for that particular one? I'll give you a clue. It's based on a total count of 118 reviews. That's fair. Some at the time in newspapers and whatnot. True. Some, obviously, since then in various mm. forms of uh, release and, and stuff like that. So. so I don't think that there... Obviously, there are some from the time, but I'd imagine that a lot of them... A lot of the contemporary reviews have been lost, probably, just through the nature of, like... Probably. It being 1939 compared to... It's 80 years yeah, ago. Um, yeah. And I can't see anyone doing a retrospective review of The Wizard of Oz and slating it particularly. I feel that might be fashionable. Uh, maybe. The guy from New Yorker disagrees <laughs> with it too. Um, so I'm, I, but I think it's going to be high. I'm going to go for 94. Okay, 94. Mrs. Stogden, I'm, any I'm, ideas? I'm torn, I'm torn. I think because it's been so studied, so talked about and so... So remade endlessly, as we've discussed. <laughs> I think we're going to have a lot of people saying, ah, it's shit in it, uh, you know, retrospectively. But I also think that, like I did at the start of this episode by saying, I have n not negative view of it, but a very meh one because of the stuff I know behind the scenes, but not the film itself. So I'm going to go one bigger, maybe two bigger. I'm going to say 96%. I'd say it's, it's going to be, yeah. I'm going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to reveal yeah. this number first and then we'll go from there. Okay. Rather okay. than saving them all up towards the end because they're so not related to each other. <laughs> it <laughs> kind of makes sense. So yeah, based on 118 critic reviews, the critic score on the Tomatometer is a whopping 98%. So you're slightly closer, Matt, but you're both yeah. certainly in the right fucking ballpark. It makes sense. Yeah, I, and and yeah. yes, there are hipstery reviews of, yeah. oh, it's really cringy and saccharine sweet and meh, 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 meh. It's like, yeah, it's the 30s, yeah, motherfucker. That's the point. What did you expect? <laughs> the, uh, Russell Maloney, who I think we might have mentioned on the show before in a previous, Possibly, re yeah. previous review, from The New Yorker. Uh, this is in 2018, so mm. there you go. I sat cringing before MGM's Technicolor production of The Wizard of Oz, which displays no trace of imagination, good taste, or ingenuity. Like, because it because it came out 80 years yeah. ago. Like, what? There's a huge article I'm I'm not willing to read because fuck that. <laughs> but I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand how you can not think this. the original film has imagination yeah. or ingenuity because it's it, the 30s. It also speaks to a, a lack of understanding of the time as well because you're talking sandwiched between the Depression and a war in mm. Europe. Um, people yeah, World War II is literally shit. just starting like right yeah. now. Like, I mean, yeah. Miserable Shit was in the cinema. You could see, still see that sh stuff, obviously. Mm. But the big bombastic Hollywood stuff, as it were, 
keep them keep them laughing, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Keep them happy. Disney. But uh, no, ninety eight. So, yeah. I'm not surprised. Ninety eight percent for the original Wizard of Oz. <clears throat> We're going to okay. skip forward a few years now and go to the Tim pick, the sneaky one. 1985's Return to Oz. <laughs> okay, yeah. And then we'll eventually get towards a great and powerful. Don't worry, yeah. but let's let's uh-huh. take a little take a little detour before we get in there yeah. and talk about the sequel, quote unquote, oh. because again, legally not a yeah. sequel, but kind of a sequel, uh, based on a and get ready for this. 34 reviews. <laughs> I I feel like it's going to be higher than expected because I feel like a lot of those again are going to be more retrospective reviews and it's it's one they of those ones, it's yeah. one of those films that over time people have and is it hipster hipster wankers going and being like actually it's, it's not, really yeah. good. The yeah. wheelies are terrifying. It's like, yes, we know they are, but is the film actually any good? Did Ron Tomatoes do a big 2018 update or something? Because so many of these reviews are from 2018. <laughs> the new uh, characters actually, yes. may not the new characters may not have had the human qualities the others had and the souls and personalities. However, they're interesting enough and true to the tales spun by Baum in the Land of Oz, the Land of Oz in 1904 and Ozma of Oz in 1907. That is a positive review. From Dolores Barkley of the Associated Press. I'm gonna say seventy-eight percent. Okay. Um, any guess for the tomatometer, Mister Stokes? <coughs> yeah, Return to Was. I remember as a kid. I remember it not being a big thing. I remember it being there's a thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of a year after I was born, and it was like a video that people show you. It's kind of like you go on a binge. You'd watch like. Dark Crystal and maybe Labyrinth and this because I thought the Skeksis and the Wheelies were all kind of the same thing. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Um, this didn't help when uh, I think the uh, Scissor Sisters did a song called Return to Oz which covers the same sort of stuff which is very interesting. I don't think it was well reviewed at the time. I think it was like, This film also opens with a... Uh... Oh, um, Dorothy being sent to like a mental health yeah. asylum yes, and yes. going it's under electroshock therapy and in order to get to Oz she drowns herself Yeah, because that's what very... we need for a family friendly sequel what? Tim Burton wasn't involved in this was he? because I mean, it no. feel, so much of it feels very Tim Burton it does there's, um, lot, there's puppets and designs all, all and yeah, it'd, be, it'd be slightly enough, too early it, for him wouldn't it? yeah, yeah it, it was bit, the yeah. directorial debut and as far as I know only directing credit that actually appears on any record mm. of Walter Murch, who is known as an incredible sound engineer and editor. Like he's edited mm. two of the Godfather movies, Apocalypse Now, yeah, yeah, and yeah. many other classics. But not so much with the directing, <laughs> old Walter. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm, okay, here's my here's my here's, here's my bold choice. I think there's going to be literally. Marmite motherfuckers. I think it's going to be people saying, "No, you don't understand." Return to Oz is the best prequel of all time. Um, it is genius. Well, we know those people exist in our fan base. That's for sure. Yeah, fucking all. Better than the, it's, the production design's better. It's gorgeous. Yada yada yada. There'll be those who also say this is a disgusting film. It's traumatizing. It's awful. I fucking hate it. It's not good. I'm going to say fifty. Fuck it. Just let down the middle. <laughs> no. <laughs> Matt, you're considerably closer. It is in fact fifty three percent for Return to Oz. I don't know if it's there or not. I Disney's don't I, I, I Return to years, Oz. But it was very traumatizing. For yeah, it's, it's, it's bulk is like it's weird. And yes, Frozen bulk is Dorothy. It's a it's a weird film. Yeah, and uh, I'll talk about that later, shall I? <laughs> but before we get to that, 
Oz, the great and goddamn powerful. That's official title from Disney. 267 reviews. Ooh. Because obviously, because it's modern day and every fucker has a website that reviews stuff. Yeah. So, Matthew, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Hello. Are you are you registered as a critic on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh no, they turned me down. Um, they said, <laughs> How rude! Well, that's fine. It's fine. I, I applied, and they said your site uh, needs to be more colourful. What? Yeah. So my it's reviews apparently are fine. The red right hand. <laughs> UK. No, uh, my reviews are fine. It's not. They said it's mostly to do with um, navigational stuff and tracking. Through. I thought I can't be fucked. They, they want. They wanted the, the website to be much more accessible and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, fine, I could do that. And they, said, you, you, they give like a six-month period so you can reply again in six months. I'm like, all right, fine. I might, I might not, I don't give a shit. Um, but equally, at the same time, there's also a lot of like, oh, do you have a YouTube channel with 70,000, mm. 70,000, 700,000 viewers? Like, or, or, or subscribers? No, no, my traffic's just fine. Because <laughs> they ask you to send like test examples of the writing. Yeah, yeah it's all fine. This is Critically fine, of course. Yeah. It's just the fact, you know, you're punching out on a regular basis. Like, I was, I think I was, at the time I was applying every two weeks, it was a review coming out or a week or so. So, anyway, point is. Anyway. No, I'm not. Hmm. Did you review this film when it came out? Is it on yeah, Red I gave right it two hand? out of five. Okay, okay. Mm. Do, you have any, do you have any excerpt for us, like you usually do? From your, br- from I your brain? <laughs> I had a very dismissive few words, but saying like all prequels, all the great and powerful and flashy, but completely hollow. And without worth, merit, or interest, we all know where the story's going and caring about it proves difficult. Agreed. I get to try because I thought some of the production was pretty decent and uh, some of the CG was okay and things. Um, Do you slate all the performances in your... <laughs> um, Most of them. I, my notable character was uh, Mila Brown. Kunis. Ah, okay. I mean... I've said I like Mila Kunis. She's not exactly pushing boundaries with her acting, but she's a very reliable and capable actress. I think I've said the same thing today, so that's <laughs> fine. Uh, problem is she keeps finding herself a mediocre fare. Um, while she is, uh, this is an opportunity for her to play a dual role, something feels lost. Theodora is a little too reserved and naive, while the Wicked Witch is just a little too mental. Uh, I think Will and Defoe and Spider-Man are a little too off-kilter to work yeah. out, but, you know, sort of accept it while it's watching the film. It's only when you go back and you realise how odd the transition is. So, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Thanks, bros! I do want to um, see Mila Kunis now saying, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh god back to formula <laughs> Ron Tomato scores what do you reckon was Oz the Great and Powerful Oz the Great and Powerful fuck it 50 <laughs> <laughs> just lazy but I don't, I, I, actually don't, the I don't I don't think so I, I'd like to say it's 33 or something but I, I want to just say 50 because I don't know okay I got a hunch okay I'm I'm gonna give it kind of a standard sequelizers drop, and I'm gonna say sixty-one. Ooh, Tim, you are closer. Oh, okay. It's in the fifties. Oh, it's really? Fifty-seven percent. Nah, I should have said that. <laughs> yeah. it, it should it should be lower, in my opinion. But yeah, funny enough, audience score fifty-six. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much Again. Here's a brief thing for people who keep writing to us, <laughs> and you do, about the Rotten Tomatoes thing. We know, we've explained many times. The, it's the two funny, metrics, leave us alone. <laughs> the two metrics you can give is what did the public think, i.e. where did the money go, mm-hmm. and what did the press think, i.e. what was the promotion around it? Because most of the time when a good film comes out, that someone says to you, have you seen this movie? No, actually, no, I haven't. 
why the fuck not? I don't know. Nothing. I didn't really hear anything in the papers. I didn't read anything in the news. It was everything. I didn't really know about the marketing. I didn't, didn't really hear see about anything it. in the papers. What decade are you from? Nineteen thirty-nine. But that's kind of the point. You don't. It, it depends how you get the promotion out there, and you know now obviously it's social media, etc. So both are flawed. Obviously, we know the critical reviews are different, and they only have certain. Things. It's also only certain people's opinions. It doesn't really mean much of anything to mm. most people. The box office also doesn't mean much either, because sometimes a film can breed life online. And we've always maintained Shawshank Redemption, what is arguably now considered one of the greatest movies of all time, and everybody absolutely loves it, critically pretty much ignored at the time of release. Nobody went to see it. We talked about the thing earlier on in the season. Mm. Same same thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So we know. We know. And then then you can have something like Alice in Wonderland which made oh. fucking gallons of cash. <laughs> because yeah. because kids exist. I don't know. tapped into that market. I don't know what the percentage is on that one, but they'll come up in sequelizers, don't worry. <laughs> it will do. It certainly will do. So, shall we, gentlemen? Or shall I, I suppose? More appropriate. You're going to make a, a transition with the shoe thing? <laughs> we're going sure. to throw a window at Jack's head and then he's going to wake up and give us his pitch. There it is. I mean, I smash my head against a wall or a window and I'm trying to figure out what the fuck to do with some of these films, so I get it. <laughs> I essentially ignoring Oz the Great and Powerful. Good. <laughs> except for a couple of tiny little like bits and pieces of uh, kind of like characterization of the wizard kind of character. Spoiler alert, he's in this. He's not the main character. I'm also taking a little bit of Wicked. Now, I've not seen Wicked. I have read Wicked, so take that with a grain of salt as well. Mm -hmm. I've read the synopsis of the play, (laughs) (laughs) which is different to the book, by the way, in a few few weird ways. Spoiler alert, I I guess. The the Wicked Witch of the West is just alive at the end for some reason, because why not? Okay, (laughs) sure, weird. Um, Not in the book, she's dead, but yeah. I'm taking a couple she of different. Really melt. <laughs> in, exactly. If she doesn't melt, she goes through a trapdoor and appears out of nowhere. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Why bother explaining that? And I'm taking a couple of little pieces from mostly two other films. Return to Oz. <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no mental health asylums or apocalyptic stuff in this ish. <laughs> and I'm also this this is the one we haven't mentioned. But kind of, uh, it, 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 yeah, it's it's a thing. <laughs> 2005's The Muppets Wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh my God. Universally hated. <laughs> is one of the worst interpretations of this. Starring, Ooh. of all people, Ashanti, the singer. Because, yeah. fuck it, why not? Am I, am I thinking correctly that that has Whoopi Goldberg as the wizard? No, Queen Latifah. Ah, oh, okay. It's Queen Latifah. Yeah, um, and Queen, so Queen Latifah is Aunt M. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Tambor is the wizard. And I'm not making this up. In the extended versions, Quentin Tarantino shows up. <laughs> Do they I'm make not, a I'm, foot kink joke? <laughs> sort of. Muppets are everyone, please. He has like a meta commentary with Kermit the Frog about how violence is used in cinema. And how? <laughs> oh, yep. His name was still mentioned in all the trailers, like with Quentin Tarantino. It's like, okay, 
what the fuck? Kelly Osborne shows up as an extended cut as well, but <laughs> ignore those two. Ignore those two. Ashanti is Dorothy. Jeffrey Tambor is the wizard. The Muppets are Kermit is Scarecrow. Uh, Gonzo is Tin Thing, the Tid Man, etc., etc. Uh, Pe- Pe- my favorite bit by far, um, one of my favorite Muppets is Pepe LeBron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's Toto. He's her, he's Dorothy's oh. pet prawn, and it's <laughs> oh he's God. the best bit about that film. Anyway, the reason I mention all this bullshit, I'm making this in 1989 on the 50th anniversary. That's smart, to be fair. So it's after Return of Oz, but I'm not in the same canon. I'll get to the title in a minute. My director, his final feature film before he dies, <laughs> seemingly months okay. later, Jim Henson. This is a post-Labyrinth Jim Henson live-action puppets mashup <laughs> version of that, version of Oz. That could be. Dramatic. Yeah, that could that could be. That could be. I mean, yeah. was, that was was that the was Henson the, workshop involved in Return to Oz? Uh, no, but some of the actors are. I think they're involved in some of the puppetry, but it's not officially produced by the Henson. Right. Puppetry is obviously a game where you're going to be yeah. like, there's lots of yeah. different So a bunch of the, so, so like yeah. Brian Henson is Jack Pup- Pumpkinhead. And <laughs> spoiler alert, Brian Henson, that is Jim Henson's son, who is mm. also a puppeteer, yes. voice actor, etc. He shows up in my one as well. He's not Jack Pumpkinhead because fuck that character. Makes <laughs> no sense. But Return to Oz was, and this is why we talk about Disney, Return mm. to Oz was a Disney production. Mm. And Henson was in talks to sell the Henson Company Muppets. to yeah. Disney at the time of his death. And he was basically wanting to do, like, mm. I want to focus on all the puppety stuff. You can deal with all the business bullshit. You do all the corporate stuff. I'll do all the cool creative <clears throat> stuff, yes. mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then he died in 1990. He was like literally in talks. So this mm. is me thinking, like, this is Jim Henson, like, pitching himself to Disney, like, hey guys, come and buy my company. I'll make an Oz film. Here's my Oz film. You're basically escalating what's already happening. We know kind of, yeah. moving up yeah. earlier. Yeah. And the thing is, if we were in the old format where it's sort of us versus them panel style thing, I'd immediately come down and say, eh, fuck you. <laughs> uh, not, you know what, four or five years, four years beforehand you got returned to Oz, which is not mm. being popular and so on and so forth. And it looks hence and as It fuck. does. However, take it that away for a second <laughs> and remind that this is a collaborative thing. Um, I do think it will work primarily because there are so many Wizards of Oz. Mm. Um, that was the thing. There's already a million fucking interpretations. So yeah. one more doesn't hurt and no, nobody it's fucking saw Return one. to Oz anyway. And yeah. it doesn't have the Henson power behind it, basically. Mm. I'm hoping yeah. this one will be the one people actually remember rather than Return to Oz. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've had one, two, three, four, five, what, seven Spider-Man films in 20 years. <laughs> Yay. But different Spider-Man films. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, that's... Oh, sorry, no. Eight. Mm, yes. Um, so, yes, effective. Yeah, so basically, yeah, I, I can actually... I can actually see this working. Or Just from the, 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 the initial suggestion. A literal elevator yep. pitch. It's a Wizard of Oz prequel. It's in the late 80s. It's a Henson production. Yep. Henson's directing. I'm immediately, no immediately very interested. Mm. Um... You're going to see a few ties to Labyrinth. Spoiler alert for my cast list coming up in a sure, minute no, because live action puppets, etc. Blah, 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 blah. David Bowie's I balls. I did think about Bowie as the wizard. I thought that's a bit too on the nose. <laughs> oh. It's a bit too on the nose, but I do kind of oh. love it. 
You better cast a good fucking wizard I, now. I did I'm cast. Oh, I, uh, there was a moment. So as I often do, I just I, I kind of like discuss my ideas with Emma, and she'll she's a brilliant like mind for bouncing stuff off. She's like, no, don't do sure, that. Don't do that. What the fuck are you talking about? Or, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's really cool. And we'll get to my casting in a moment. But there's a couple of moments of in the cast where she was like, that is perfect. <clears throat> and there's a couple of moments where she was like, change it to that. And I was like, that's genius. So. Nice. Casting director Emma Ward. <laughs> um, How old was she been in 1989? Uh, one. One? <laughs> and I was minus one. So there you go. Um, it was meant to be. So this is going to be a long cast <clears throat> because, as I said, I'm not keeping any of the fuckers from either from the 39 or the 2013 because that's yeah. basically impossible. Ish. <laughs> sure. Ish. We'll, we'll do, get do you, to them. Do you want to do a, a, um, a sort of. Prometheus style, where we list all beforehand, or Smoke and Aces, where we incorporate into it. Which one do you would you prefer? Uh, we'll li- we'll list all beforehand because it needs it needs a needs some explanation and stuff. So we'll okay. do that. fair enough, fair enough. I'm ready. I'm ready. My title, not the Wizard of Oz. No, 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 no. The Witches of Oz. Simple, mm. easy. Yeah, ties into it nicely. Punchy. Punchy. Yeah, you know it's a prequel or sequel to the Wizard of Oz. Easy, yeah. fine. Witches of the Eastwick a couple of years ago, so that name is already... Exactly. Witches are in vogue, so why not? No, I like it. So similar to Wicked, the starring characters are the witches. Notice I said characters, plural. This is not a focus on the the green one, the Wicked Witch of the West, as it were. This is about all three of them and their dynamic. And I say three because there is a Wicked Witch of the East, which nobody fucking talks about. And of course, Rachel Weiss played... Ever Nora, where the fuck her name was. And also, none of those names are canon, by the way, because they all just make up those fucking names. So I've nicked the names from Wicked, basically in name only, just because they're the easiest, and I've kind of fiddled one as well. So Diddled one of them? I did, yes. <laughs> we have two age groups as well. So kind of what we talked about with Wicked, you have the young witches and older witches. So you've got two two actresses playing each character. <clears throat> okay. And I painstakingly worked out how old everyone was in 1989. <laughs> and that was like half of my time. Like, right, who is who is available? Who that. is who is 40-something? <clears throat> who is in their teens? Teen stars of the late 1980s who can sing. Okay. <laughs> because yeah. this is a fucking musical. None of this okay. was the great and powerful stuff where they just kind of hint at it. Mm. There are full-on song and dance <laughs> breaks. It's the Muppets oh, sing, you mean sing and dance. Fucking musical. Shit. The, like the original is, the original, for the most part, until they get to the Emerald City, is a fucking yes. musical. Yeah. I have yeah. included song titles in here, like Tim has done in previous uh, pitches as well. Yeah, so I've yeah. made up song titles for the characters to sing at each other when they're having conflicts or whatever. No, so, no, no, I get that. That's cool. It's a full, it's a, <clears throat> mu- it's a Muppets musical Oz <laughs> set in the late 80s, full of weird shit and various different influences. Sounds intense as well. Mm. I know. We're going to get there. The casting <laughs> is maybe my favourite bit because it's just so mad and so star-studded, <laughs> but it's 1989, so I can get away with it in a lot of ways. Sure, sure. So, adult Glinda, aka the mm. Good Witch. I'm starting out strong here. We're talking about, like, classic, all-time influential Hollywood people. Meryl Streep. Oh, <laughs> going straight in there, fucking Meryl Streep. So she's already yep. broken out out in Africa. Out of Africa was 1985, and yeah. this is around about the same time she did She Devil in 1989 as well. 
Meryl fucking Streep is Glinda There'll the Good Witch. catty people in the comments thinking, I've seen Mamma Mia, she can't <laughs> sing. Um, but she can sing, she can mm. carry a tune. She can sing. I get it. Yes, cool. Young Glinda, and this is somebody I didn't know who could sing until I went and checked. <laughs> this sounds mad, but bear with me. Uma Thurman. <laughs> Sorry, Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> and her love interest no, that, that... is Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. No, I can see Thurman playing a younger version of Meryl Streep. So, you can see how she looks in um, Baron Munchausen kind of thing. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So she's I just get, been in that. Dangerous Liaisons, which will crop up a couple of times, weirdly enough, uh, in 1988. Ooh, okay. And mm. Where the Heart Is in 1990, you all probably know her from things like Kill Bill mm. and Pulp Fiction and all that <clears> kind of stuff, you know, later <laughs> on in her. This is very early on in his mm. career, in her career, sorry. She is 19 at this point, 18, 19 years old, mm. something like that. So she's, we're, we're talking late teens, early 20s for the witches here. Okay, sure. Adult Wicked Witch of the East, aka Nessa, shortened from Nessa yeah. Rose, because I thought that was a bit mm. unnecessary. Again, <laughs> name from Wicked. Goldie Horn. Yeah. Going for some Goldie Horn. Interesting. So Goldie Horn's big in the 80s. She she's big in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, this is this is one of Emma's picks, which was like, I was really struggling to cast Nessa, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, cool, that'll do. Uh, she's been in Overboard a couple of years ago and goes on Bird yes. on a Wire is mm-hmm. next year, 1990. A young Nessa, a 24-year-old, mm. Diane Lane. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. She's been in The Outsiders. That was one of her kind of breakout roles in 1983. Um, and then Vital Signs is the following year in 1990. She's also in Man of Steel, but we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Diane Lane, 24 years old. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's, it's, it's tricky when... I mean, if we do it now... No, fuck it. I'm sorry, no, no. Uh, whenever you cast a, a, an older and a younger version of an actor... We've talked about this it's, before on the show. For we sure, have, yeah. and we will do it in the future because we will do it all the time because it's something that things you either do what you're doing at the minute where you get like uh, somebody's kid or you de-age them or you get someone who's, you know, whatever. Um, but in truth, it is very difficult and you go for sometimes, can they imitate the personality, the presence, the chemistry of that character they're creating? I think that's more important. And, I, and I've also got the baggage of the 39 film in that mm-hmm. we know what, the two two out of three witches because we obviously don't see the Wicked no. Witch of the East because she's crushed by Dorothy's house. But we also mm. know those two performances from Billy Burke and Margaret Hamilton in thirty nine. Mm. So mm. I've, there's the weight of their on their shoulders as well. Precisely, they're doing imitation still. But the thing that gets to me, I think, is uh, most of the time, as audiences, we'll go, "Wait a minute, she's got different color hair." And that seems to be the only thing we ever get. I, I will just dye their hair different colours. I think that's those, one those, thing. Those no. witches are kind of defined by colours. They are in my pitch mm. as well. well yes, I think that's the thing, is that when you've got something as fantastical as Oz, you can do a lot with makeup and with costuming that will help Definitely. define the characters. Puppets. Yeah. Puppets. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> um, but I actually, I'm okay with that. I think it works, personally. I think that's interesting. The, the, fir- the first person I cast, and this is where I went... Oh, I'm going full 80s. This is my plan. I didn't realize okay. that until I cast this person. Adult Elphaba, which is, mm-hmm. again, the, the wicked name from mm-hmm. the Wicked Witch of the East. Alphabet, E-L-F... <laughs> no. It's L-F-B, L-F-B. L. Frank Baum's L. initials, Frank, yes, like, yes. enunciated, yeah. Correct. Great. Motherfucking Cher. <laughs> <laughs> She's been in Moonstruck. She's going to be in Mermaids next year. 
she is hot shit in the late 80s. I mean, you've, which you've got, Eastwick. yeah, Witches of Eastwick. <laughs> Witches of Eastwick, exactly. Cher, That's a good show. She's That's got, interesting. She's going to be... It's, we're going full 80s, basically, is what I'm saying here. You oh, thought like, oh, Jack's again. going class. He's got Meryl Streep. He's got Diane Lane. Classy. Cool. Cher as fuck, baby. <laughs> Let's go. I mean... Shout had Oscar nominated. Yeah, she was big. There you so go. There you go. That's, that's such a powerhouse. That makes sense. I actually really like that. <laughs> Although because it's the eighties, she's gonna have a perm. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> we're going. We're going big eighties hair. I assume as well. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and a young Elphaba. I'm going for a very young, an eighteen-year-old mm. Winona Ryder. Yeah, early on yeah. in her career. Got the kind right. of gothic Heather's kind of, time. Exactly. It's exactly the same time as Heather's. She's in Edward Scissorhands the following year. Yeah. Young Winona Ryder. So those are my six actresses for the three witches. You with me so far? 80s as fuck. <laughs> we'll get to the rest of it. I like it. Next up, supporting cast. Madame Morrible, which again, character from Wicked, although... That's right, yeah. Not really the same character from Wicked, but sort of. She's going to be like a mentor to the mm-hmm. to the young witches, basically. Yep. I had a plan. I thought, I'll make this character like a reference to the original. I'll do it. Like, I'll be clever and I'll be sneaking over and going, oh, yeah, that's, that's funny. That's clever. Mm-hmm. Everyone's fucking dead. Loads of people yeah. died from mm. the 30s version, which is unfortunate. Oh, yeah. I was like, wait, I know Julie Garland died when she was young. How young was she? And like... She was. She died in the sixties. I'm like shit. Yeah, that was my original yeah. plan. Thankfully, her daughter Liza Minnelli is around. <laughs> <laughs> so Judy Gar- Dorothy Gale's daughter, yeah. <laughs> Liza Minnelli, <laughs> known for cabaret, mm. obviously, but he's mostly doing like TV musical mm-hmm. schlock in the eighties. Yes. Basically, is Madame Marble. I like that choice. I think she's the... And again, if you're going to do this as a big thing that Disney are pushing with this kind of production... It's Judy like Garland's the, daughter. I know it'll be advertised. It'll be the definitive... Yeah. You know, Oz follow-up. <laughs> yeah. Thing. Everything else is bullshit. Yeah. yeah. You. Exactly. We've got, we've got the sign-off from yeah. Judy Garland. Judy Garland's daughter. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to figure out if she's ever been... I don't think she's ever been attached to any Wizard of Oz stuff. As far as Nelly. I can tell, no. I no, I think she's just distanced herself because it's her mum's yeah. thing. Um, which again, I understand that as an yeah. artist, you're like, I don't want to do the same thing. Um, she's not, but I like it. She's 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 not playing Dorothy's daughter, which I think is the important thing. She's oh no, but that's the thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah, having her involved makes complete sense. Yeah, my wizard, and we talked about this. It needs to be someone, someone who can fucking knock it out of the park. Of course, 1989. I've slightly changed his name as well. It's well, it's a variation on his name, his full bullshit name that doesn't make any sense. Yes. Going for Oscar Zorosta, Zorasta, however he pronounces it. Getting rid of the digs. Just got the O Z kind mm-hmm. of Yes. Anagram kind of thing. Dr. Frankenfurter himself. <laughs> Tim Curry. Oh, I do like I some Tim Curry. Curry. I love me yeah. some Tim Curry. He's been in Legend. He's the darkness in Legend. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, fantasy ridiculousness there. Mm. We know he can sing. We know he can dance. Be over the top and really ridiculous. And he's going to be, oh, by the way, he's Pennywise a year later in, <laughs> in as well. Mm. So, yeah, he's, he's going to have some, some ominous kind of tones to him, some menace as well. No, I like that. I've got a couple more. These are way more bit parts. So that's kind of the main cast of hu- yes, human yes. actors, basically, at this point. These ones I threw in for fun. 
there are three kingdoms that we kind of deal with in the Oz land because fuck me, I know a load about Oz law now because <laughs> my, my life is meaningless. Fucking hell, yeah. The and I hate uh, the Emperor of the Winkies, and yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're called. That's the uh, oh we oh we oh the the, the yeah, ru- traumatizing motherfucker, the traumatizing green skinned Russian looking yeah. dudes for some reason. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, the Emperor of the Winkies. Speaking of dancing, hot out of a previous sequelized episode, staying alive, <laughs> Mr. John. Travolta. <laughs> Very interesting. He gets a dance break, but he's not in it much. So this is bef- this is before his resurgence in Pulp Fiction. Obviously, this is the same year as Look Who's Talking as well. So it's in that kind of his career is very often. Yeah. yeah, that makes complete yeah. sense. I think yeah. he's going to do a bit of dancing. He'll do a bit of singing. It's fine. If I remember correctly, John Travolta hates Tim Curry. Yeah, I thought so too. There is that. He's quite tall. That works. I think yeah, Travolta's like over six foot. Or something. Mm. I think he's. Yeah, and again, it's just because the Winkies have always felt like these big, tall, overpowering individuals. So I think that's a or overbearing, I should say. So I think, uh, yeah, that's an interesting choice. The and these are these are the official titles, by the way. They, each each little leader has their own title. The monarch of the Munchkins. <laughs> Be prepared for some, even with the Star Wars pitch and with. The the fucking loads of other stuff we've done. The the proper <clears throat> nouns that I'm going to spew at you people and the three of us are going to spew in the script. Mm. Uh, be prepared because there's there's some bullshit in Oz. <laughs> I'm just letting you know right now. The Monarch of the Munchkins, R two D two, Kenny Baker. Interesting choice. I mean, a good mm. choice, obviously, but interesting nonetheless. Um, he's a he, Baker. He's a dwarf actor. He's yeah. good. He's around. Also, ties into Labyrinth again. He was played mm. the goblins, some of the goblins in Labyrinth. Oh, yeah, definitely. And he's also um, been in Time Bandits. He's fidget in Time Bandits earlier on in the 80s. So he's already got oh, that yeah. kind of 80s thing going as well. So Yeah, Baker's around. Baker's doing stuff entirely. Um, yeah, makes sense to me. I approve. Last of the humans, which is a weird sentence to say. <laughs> but last of the humans. Mm. And the last person I kind of cast because this is just a fun throwaway thing of like who can I just chuck in here for a bit of silliness <laughs> sure king of the quadlings because oh, and we're going to what's going to happen every time again a year after dangerous liaisons there's the tide to dangerous liaisons again and a couple of years before of mice and men one of his kind of breakout roles in in big cinema mm. john malkovich because <laughs> fuck it why not <laughs> No, um, I, he's he's going to be bringing his own inflection, cadence, and accent. So I think it'll be great. He, he's wacky enough and enough yeah. of a fucking stage acting weirdo that he would bring, <laughs> he would bring the right presence to this madness that I'm setting up yeah. in us. I love me some John Malkovich, but the dude is is like full on theatre actor eccentric. He usually, in my opinion, kind of works best when he's partly self aware. I think. Him in him in Burn after the reading especially. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, writing my memoir. <laughs> fucking nobody in this film pronounces it memoir. It's memoirs because I know that's a French word, but fucking, what are you doing, man? Uh, he's be, he's, he's, he's being John Malkovich, funny enough. He's great. He's in God. He's he's <laughs> Cyrus the virus. Yeah. No, I, I I like it. I like it. Um, I think it's really interesting. So my, my only my, question is my batshit can't. Because actually, no, that's not true. I've got only question. I've got tons of questions. I'm about sure you have. I can't really answer, 
and they're all about the visuals because I'm so because it's such a visual mm. thing. But ultimately, that, that's a huge thing. Goes. So, and we talked about this, and I very much talked about this in uh, mm. my thing pitch, where it's like, yeah. oh, there's loads of stuff that's happening off camera that I'm not mentioning in my pitch, and you you understand the tone and all this kind of stuff. Stuff you I simply cannot like convey with yeah. a you know fifteen hundred word thing <laughs> on a on a screen. Oh yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, the music, which I haven't got to yet, but I, I will get to now. Mm-hmm. Paul Williams, who is the Muppets guy, he wrote yes. Rainbow Connection. Mm-hmm. He's the man. Him and Jim Henson co-writing some kick-ass Muppet-style, family-friendly songs, but also with a mm-hmm. crazy 80s flair to it. Yeah. Sure. Yes, please. Also, the visuals. Going all practical. All, obviously, well, yeah, it's yeah. the late 80s. But like it's it's the outfits you would expect from the thirties version of these characters, and we'll get to it later on. But a, a lot of these characters start off different and then change later on. They start off with a particular outfit or a particular look, and then will look more like their thirty nine counterparts as the film goes on. Gets closer to that, as Tim mentioned. Star Wars prequels, kind of, kind mm-hmm. of, yeah. yeah. It's all sleek, and then it's shit. It's a prequel, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, I get that. it's gonna the Munchkins are gonna look all like. In dumpy and silly like they do with their big like over the top costumes and stuff and yeah um, and plasticky hair yeah on all the plasticky hair and stuff I'm yeah. we're committing to the campness is what I'm saying so <laughs> okay, okay. the fact that you'll look at that and go oh it's the same costume as the 39 and be like yeah it's mad <laughs> Labyrinth looks like insanity like a fucking acid trip this is this is what I'm going for the, the, the nostalgia for this sort of stuff for the 80s could be very interesting because the reruns on TV because it would feel like in this, um, we talked about this in the previous episode with the creature from the Black Lagoon episode in the 80s, there's a big nostalgia for the 50s and that mm. sort of schlocky stuff. And for a lot of people, Wizard of Oz was the 50s because, as we mentioned before, the whole TV mm, stuff that exactly. ties in yep. quite nicely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm working on that 30-year nostalgia loop right now. I'm, I'm yeah, of course, working of into that. And last, but <clears throat> certainly no means least, the puppets and puppeteers and voice actors corresponding to them. Cool. Basically, it's a bunch of Muppets, but they're not actually Muppets. It's the <laughs> actors from the Muppets... And the voices the and the, the, pu- the puppeteers and stuff from the Muppets. Um, I mentioned Brian Henson. He's playing Nico the Winged Monkey King, the Flying Monkey King, however you want to word it. Sure. That, that's a character, apparently. Um, this is all taken from Baum's madness, so bear with me with some of these <laughs> names. Um, as I mentioned, he is Jack Pumpkinhead in Return to Oz a few years earlier, and is also in Labyrinth, so... Get used to that name popping up a few times. Um, there's a couple of enchanted trees. I don't know if you remember, like the apple orchard trees mm. that like throw stuff. Yes. Um, they're going to be voiced and, and played by Ron Muke. He's Ludo in Labyrinth. So there you go again. Kind of legendary. Now sculptor, which is weird. Uh, legendary puppeteer turned sculptor. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, another puppeteer for the Sawhorse which, yes, is a Baum character that makes no sense and is just <laughs> a silly fucking idea. From a deep dive from my 20s, I know these words and I know these things and I remember thinking they're all fucking stupid. <laughs> they are. So I'm committing to the stupid, like yeah. I said. Um, David Goals, he is Gonzo from The Muppets. Yeah. He's also Dr. Honeydew from The Muppets and he's Sir Didymus from Labyrinth. So mm-hmm. there you go. Muppets and Labyrinth, a lot of connections there. Um, sure. Snufferbucks the Bear, because that's, <laughs> that's a that's great a name. That's an abbreviation of his name. His full name 
It's a safe sex word. Is Snephorius Buxorius Blundorius Barroso, <laughs> usually shortened to Snufferbux, um, is, is of course a talking bear in Oz. And if he's going to talk in Oz, he may as well be voiced by Frank Oz. Hey. Frank Oz oh, is a legend. Good, good, good. Yeah. Frank Oz, funny enough, voices Fozzie Bear, <laughs> uh, the wise man in Labyrinth. But you may also know him as motherfucking Yoda. Yeah. So. There you oh, go. The he's also the guy from American in London. Or, American Marvel London. And that too. Yeah. He's also, yeah, being on screen, he's also a director. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a, an yeah. incredible producer. He's Frank Oz is like a legend in in cinema in general, but he's playing a big silly bear. And I hope you're ready for this. The last one. Voiced and puppeteered by Steve Whitmire, who took over Kermit and Ernie when Jim Henson died. Funny enough, yes. he took over for the following like 30 years before he then passed them on to the next generation. He's also Rizzo the Rat. He's Sprocket mm-hmm. in Fraggle Rock. He's, <laughs> again, a legendary puppeteer and voice actor. He's playing, and I'm not making this up because Bao made this up before me, Chigglewitz, who is a fuddle from Fuddle Cum Jig. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave the, the name Fuddle Come Jig for the imagination of the listeners there. <laughs> Just let that one sink in. I, do, I, mean, I mean... And I thank you, know. L. Frank Baum, for, for that, little, <laughs> that little magical moment. I mean, like all fantasy, science fiction, etc. It's all bullshit. You're making up nonsense. <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi! Is, it's dumb. It's fucking dumb. It's just you put a positive uh, affection to it because you have your own uh, connection to it. Uh, However, a fuddle from Fuddle coming, <laughs> sorry, um, is just pretty, is that not pretty the, beautiful. Is that not the best thing we've said on this show? So. <laughs> Maybe from episode one. Exactly. Exactly. Write in and tell us if there was a better sentence than just to give you some con- to give you some context. Fuddles, yes. as they're known, are jigsaw people. They are like two dimensional and literally mm. made of jigsaw pieces so they can sure. pull themselves apart they can put themselves back together again and then come and then do a little fuddle come jig and <laughs> everybody's happy like in wizard of oz the the fudder whacking or whatever the fuck it is the same sort that, of like that's alice in dance. wonderland but yes that's what i'm saying yes yeah that's, that's, that's yeah. the idea of like the it, it's the like the jabberwocky it's all it's all with it's ridiculous all nonsense wordplay bullshit and some of it hits the wall and other ones sound like fuddle come jig um, there you go. Brilliant. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to remember the time it was written. Fuddle, as in to mess things up and bumble around and things. And a jig is a dance. And come means <laughs> to ejaculate. Not what you think it does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically, putting this into Google. Oh no! <laughs> no, it is a it is a uh, a combining word. Yes. Uh, like a study come bedroom so yeah. it's like it's, it's the come loud a term exactly for it's, it's an stuff, adjoining yeah. sort of phrase so the idea it's simply it's being the, not 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 dirty come jig you know what it is it's, 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 it's would a be, fuddle come jig it's like calling <laughs> something a thingamabob or something like that yeah exactly exactly over the line that but this word has g's in it <laughs> that's why yeah, i like it um I can't argue with any of that because again I usually go oh what about this actor what about that actor but for puppeteers they're all legendary oh, puppets. Yes. Great, and it's the yeah. studio. It's like saying, "Why would you change like Stan Winston or something?" It's, it's like, basically no, the cast from Labyrinth <laughs> slash the Muppets, yeah. which is the Henson Company. So, Sorry, what did you expect? The cast, 
from Labyrinth slash the Muppets sounds like an attack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're the, the same. They're puppets. the same people, so it's just yeah. Them punching one Civil puppet, War. punching another one in the face with fist, oh, no. fists. The word up. slash was used. I expect knives. It's yeah. a knife fight. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I'm ready for this pitch. Mm. I'm excited. Much like my solo pitch, we open location card. Fuddle come, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. I just wanted to say that. It's fine. Tim Curry goes. <laughs> I hope so. I just want to hear Tim Curry say "fuddle come, Jim." <laughs> oh damn! Right, as Nigel Thornbury. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Oh my god! So, let's get into the pitch, shall we, gentlemen? In the magical land of Oz. Two munchkins skip through the roads near Munchkinland, enjoying the scenery and singing a variation of The Merry Old Land of Oz. Because it's going to be a lot of songs, <laughs> and I've highlighted them in the pitch for you, so you feel free to hum a little Whoa, tune while you do it. I'll, I'll do a little tune. They, You'll hate it. I'm sure I will. They greet a few creatures of Oz on the way. These are the puppets we'll meet properly later on, including a bear, snuffer bugs. Mm-hmm. Mm. A sawhorse and some enchanted apple trees and a few other quirky characters. It's a little happy family jig along with some some dwarves and some puppets and stuff. It's all, everybody's happy. Yeah. Some of the puppets join in and little lions and kind of introduce themselves and talk about stuff as they go through, as they sing. And the two eventually make their way to Munchkin City. As they arrive, Munchkin City is in ruins. I'm not going post-apocalyptic, I promise. Bear You're with going me. apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> this is In the middle of it. current apocalyptic, exactly. The Munchkin's happy song is quickly cut off and a flying monkey swoops towards them and blacks out the camera. Remember the whirly bird times? The hidey high scrapers? <laughs> Sing Mad Max. I was going to call it a Chaz Wazza. <laughs> Mirroring the Munchkin scene, we see two young women in Oz chasing each other, seemingly fighting. The older of the two, Nessa, has light blue skin and is wearing a long, flowing golden dress swishing around in the breeze. I like the blue skin. That's a good shout. Her youngest sister, Elphaba, is green skin and wears a tight-fitting black dress in contrast. Nessa throws a spell at her sister, making Elphaba float a few feet off the ground before falling onto her face. Elphaba, angered by her sister's teasing, fires back with a few spells of her own and they sing the song... Uh... Not like you. That's terrible. Back and forth at each other as they bow. <laughs> and it's really slow because I sang at that pacing. Um, they fight to a stalemate and are scolded by an old woman, Madame Morrible, for not practicing their magical powers properly. Morrible says the sisters should be more disciplined like Glinda. Both sisters roll their eyes at the mention of the third witch as the madam angrily directs them to uh, her castle to the north. So, Madame Morrible... Is the Wicked Witch, or the Witch, not the Wicked Witch, but the Witch mm. of the North, which is never addressed in the film. Yes. She exists in the books, but mm. Glinda is kind of a combination of both North and South mm, witches. Yeah. It's, it's a whole mess. I'm essentially making Madame Horrible an unspoken witch from nope, a previous generation. She's <laughs> the Witch of the North kind of thing. I like it. Doesn't fucking matter, but it's it's all, it's all <laughs> law. So there Compasses! Come jigs, please. <laughs> An older Glinda is in her castle in the southern part of Oz and looks up to see a hot air balloon in the sky. Having never seen anything like this before, she calls upon some of the Oz talking animals. Lots more puppets. L- there's going to be loads of puppets. I didn't name all the fucking puppeteers. <laughs> Frank Oz and, and Steve Whitmire can voice like 15 different characters. Yeah. 
they always do. So get used to that. There's going to be loads of puppets, loads of the same voice actors. <laughs> One's John Lithgow. <gasps> <laughs> she calls upon the talking animals to join her in getting a closer look as she floats towards the balloon using her bubble spell. The owner of the balloon is a very flustered looking man trying to make a safe descent and failing spectacularly. He sings, Out of my depth. <laughs> and Glinda joins in as she catches his plummeting balloon and meets him a hundred feet off the ground. Needless to say, he's surprised, but quickly tries to impress her by explaining who he is. Oscar Zoroaster, the great and powerful psychic and fortune teller. He finishes his flashy introduction as they gently touch down. Glinda introduces herself as Glinda the Good Witch and welcomes the errant magician to the magical... I uh, don't know where I drew that from. Well, from every other fucking yeah. version. They call it a million different things. <laughs> the mythical land of wonderful land of magical land of... Oh, fucking hell. And welcomes the errant magician to the wonderful land of Oz. Alphaba and Nessa are cleaning the floors in Madame Horrible's grandiose halls as punishment for using their magic for petty means. Madame Horrible explains why they should always use their gifts for useful purposes and not waste their energy via the song, If you've got it, don't waste it. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can see I can see uh, um, Liza, Minnelli Liza Minnelli doing doing that. Out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Morrible summons Glinda, her perfect student, and gets her to demonstrate some spells in front of the other two witches. Glinda takes the opportunity to show off in front of her rivals, reprising the song "I've got it and I won't waste it." <laughs> Madame Morrible reminds the girls that they will have to prove themselves and craft their magical foci, as in plural of the word focus, because apparently <laughs> that's a thing, in order to become full witches. Oscar looks very confused as Glinda nonchalantly explains the situation Oz is in. In the song, What's Happened to Us? Uh, she details how the Wicked Witch of the West has taken over Winky Country. You heard me. And expanded into the middle of Oz building a city in her image and enslaving everyone in her wake, while the Wicked Witch of the East now rules over the Munchkins in Munchkinland. And Oscar blinks for a moment and says, okay. <laughs> she says that well, she that's can't... That's a bunch of bullshit, what the fuck is <laughs> Yeah, mm, words. She says that she can't enter the Emerald City, but she knows someone who could sneak in, and someone who could inspire the people of the Emerald City to revolt and cast the Wicked Witch out. Oscar does a... Who? Me? Look, as Glinda turns to the newcomer, an idea popping into her head. So, he's not the one that does comes up with any schemes mm. or anything like that. He is at oh, the no. wrong place at the wrong time. He's a pawn. Glinda is the scheming one mm. in this. So she is very much the driving force, and he is just kind of there for the ride. As we said, Glinda's not... It's the whole like, ah, the good people you think are good aren't always... Yeah. She's kind of doing she's, things for the right reasons. She's the I odd guess. CIA. Mm. She's sending someone in to promote <laughs> ferment rebellion. Yeah, she's yeah, she's yeah. trying to replace Castro. Basically, yeah. is what I mean, she's trying to do. He calls himself the Good Witch, <laughs> right? And all oh, all oh, the good witches are pretty, or whatever the fuck she oh, says. Oh yeah, fuck you! <laughs> how how mm. rude! The witches are in training, and Madame Morrible asks each of them what they'd like their magical focus to be. Glinda springs forward and waves her wand around. Of course she does. <laughs> Morrible nods and tells Glinda to concentrate on her favourite spell and move her wand at the same time. The young witch quickly casts her bubble spell as her wand twinkles and sparkles. Glinda... <laughs> <laughs> Glinda squeals with delight and sends glitter flying everywhere as she sings... 
my time to shine. Yep. As ever, the other two roll their eyes at Glinda. Nessa says she wants to enchant her favourite shoes, the ruby pair she's wearing. MGM lawyers rush onto the film set and <laughs> beat them all within her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she clicks her heels together and sings the song Best Foot Forward as she successfully enchants the ruby shoes. Lastly, Elphaba tries to find something to use as her spellcasting focus, but struggles. She picks up the broom she had been cleaning with earlier and sings Clean Up Your Act as she enchants it with a flying spell. Oscar and Glinda float through Oz and meet some of the local creatures. More puppets, some of the same puppets, and some new puppets, <laughs> all the puppets. The inhabitants recognise Glinda and react with a mixture of excitement and fear. The witches of Oz clearly have a reputation. She introduces Oscar to, are you ready folks? <laughs> Snufferbucks the bear, Chigglewitz the jigsaw man, aka the fuddle from Fuddle Come Jig. <laughs> And an animated sawhorse. Three Oz inhabitants who can help Glinda and Oscar defeat the Wicked Witch of the West and reclaim Emerald City for the people of Oz. Oscar, during his usual flashy introduction, suddenly realises he's in way over his head and tries to back out of the whole plan. The other characters repeat Oscar's The Great and Powerful in, I did a Franco impression there for some reason introduction back at him and they argue through the song The Man for the Job. Oscar eventually agrees to help, and they begin listening to Glinda's plan. Madame Marble meets with the monarch of the Munchkins, and that's a loss of alliteration, <laughs> from the east, the emperor of the Winkies from the west, and the kingdom of the Quadlings from the south, and introduces them to their new witches. That's, like that's Malkovich, Travolta, and uh, Kenny Baker all <laughs> appearing <laughs> together, yep. She explains that a witch's role is to work alongside the rule of their country to help its people. Yeah, it is the witcher. Um, <laughs> Glinda gladly accepts the South, kissing the Quadling King on the cheek and making him blush. You can imagine a bit of, bit of Malkovich oh, no, being a bit... Oh. Wait, is that oh. Uma Thurman and John Travolta? Uh, well, we got who we paired up here. Uh, y- no, that would be Glinda. Uh, no, that would be, that would be, that would be uh, Uma got... Thurman and John Malkovich. Ah, Markovich. Yes, yeah. I see. I see you going for like a, <laughs> a, a yeah, a, a pre pop yes. fiction moment. Y- yeah, not quite. It's a dangerously Asian's moment, not <laughs> a pop fiction moment. Yeah, there'll be some dancing soon, I'm sure. <laughs> Nessa reluctantly agrees to work with the Munchkins in the East. Uh, racist. Yep. Um, Alphaba gleefully agrees to go with her fellow green skin Winkies in the West, and all three witches and rulers join in a song called. The boys. Um, explaining about their respective lands and inhabitants in a jolly old cockney knees. Pretty much. Pretty much. In a dark emerald city, an older Elphaba sits in shadow atop a throne and consults her crystal ball. I'm picturing some real fucking glam 80s shit with Cher. Fuck yes, you're. There's, les- <laughs> there's dry ice up to her fucking neck. <laughs> she sees Glinda, Oscar, and their companions following the red brick road to Munchkin City. Red brick road is a thing, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Because that is the thing, supposedly, that leads to Glinda's castle. So we'll get to this in a moment, I guess. But the yellow brick road is in a spiral leading out and heads towards is, yes. Emerald City. The other spiral within that spiral is a red brick road, and it's been theorised for a long time that that heads south and heads to Glinda's ah. castle, basically. That so makes sense. I'm, I'm playing on that mm. theory there. I like that. 
she sees Glinda, Oscar and their companions following the red brick road to Munchkin City. She muses about how pitiful they are, how she'll soon rule all of Oz and sings a solo, What a World. Fucking share. on her line when she dies. Belting. What a world, what a world. <laughs> <laughs> what a world, what a world. <laughs> Thank you, Cher. <laughs> this is pre-autotune, Cher, I hasten to add. This is, this is like a... Uh, <laughs> If I could want a world, do 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 do. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I like it. Sounds like it's like what? Yeah. World. This is also Kevin Costner turns <laughs> up as a fish. If I can take over Oz, <laughs> do, do, do. yeah, pretty yeah. much. Oh my god! Uh, the Winky Ruler, unaged, <laughs> but now dressed. He gets if you need to know how big your winky is, get the winky ruler. You need a winky Jump. ruler. Uh, unaged, but now dressed in the dark Russian-inspired outfit that we recognise from the 1939 film. Joy- MGM lawyers are knocking once again. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, joins in with a dance break during the song. Of course he does. He's John Travolta. I wrote, of I course he that. does. He's John Travolta. <laughs> I in missed that. I thought I said break dance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he comes and does a little bit of... He does a jig. A little bit. He does a yeah. cum jig. Pretty much. Oh. He does some staying alive karate kicks and whatnot. Oh, sweaty. He reprises Devil's Alley for a few minutes. <laughs> just, just the most 80s thing all over again. <laughs> the song crescendos with Elphaba grabbing her broom, her signature cackle, and disappearing in a cloud of smoke and fire. A montage of the three witches trying to get along with their respective monarchs. <clears throat> Glinda and the Quadling King get on well, and the Quadlings help her build her castle as thanks. Nessa isn't so nice to the Munchkins and quickly clashes with their monarch, forcing them to build the beginnings of the Yellow Brick Road, leading to the centre of the country, the future site of Emerald City. In the other half of the spiral, they build the corresponding Red Brick Road, as I mentioned, leading to the south, eventually linking all three of the sisters' domains. Nessa sings a solo, A Long, Long Road, which features some light motifs from Follow the Yellow Brick Road from the original film. Mm. Alphabet is first accepted by the Winkies due to their similar appearance. <laughs> it's, oh my God, it's, it's the worst, but the best. Hang on, let me try again. I'm accepted by, Elphaba I like to be accepted is by accepted the Winkies. accepted by the penises <laughs> due to their penises. Yeah. However, this causes some Winkies, God damn it. <laughs> I am oh. a 36-year-old man. How, and if you're in the Patreon, sausage talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. However, this causes some Winkies to theorise that she is, in fact, one of them. Elphaba refuses to acknowledge it, saying that she is destined for greatness and not just a Winky. She sees Glinda's progress with her glowing fairy castle and compares it to her relatively small and dark castle on the edge of a cliff. Which is from the 39 film... It looks like fucking Dracula's castle. It's, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's inherently evil. And basically she's annoyed. essential bad guy lair. She's, she's annoyed that she's got a bad guy lair and there's Glinda off with her fucking fairy princess castle, basically. Sure. Growing envious, she scolds the Winky leader, demanding to know who she could recruit as scouts. He suggests speaking to Nico, the king of the flying monkeys, as they are available... as they are able to travel freely through the skies of Oz. Alphabet's signature cackle echoes out once again. Oscar and Glinda travel on the same road we saw in the opening scene and reach Munchkin City, mostly in ruins. Glinda begins waving her wand and repairing some of the damage, 
while the two munchkins from the opening scene explain how the Wicked Witch of the West attacked Munchkin City with her army of flying monkeys. Snufferbucks and Sawhorse talk about the growing conflict between the witches, and they reassure the munchkins that Oscar is the man to defeat her. Oscar does a few mediocre magic tricks, which seem to impress the munchkins, and they cheer him on as he sings, A way of looking at things. <laughs> Glinda says that she cannot enter the Emerald City while Alphabet is in charge, and that Oscar will have to go with Snufferbucks and Sawhorse. As long as he sticks to her plan, he should be able to claim the throne of Oz and banish the Wicked Witch back to Winky Country. So they are actually going with our pal from Fuddle Cumjig there, but it's a sneaky little plan. So there you go. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Fuddle Cumjig. He's a sneaky Fuddle from Fuddle Cumjig. <laughs> what can I say? Nessa and Elphaba work together, using their respective slaves to build the foundations of a city in the centre of Oz, because Disney loves slave labour, right guys? <laughs> <laughs> I've now got the, the, the Disney lawyers knocking at my door. But they begin bickering about what colour to build it. Blue as sapphire, green as emerald. Madame Morrible learns of their fighting and tries to convince them to return to their lands in the east and west. Two sisters begin throwing spells at each other, and Morrible gets caught in the climactic crossfire. Imagine like the bit in the Pokemon movie, you know, Ash gets like frozen in stone. You know the one I mean. Turning Madame Morrible into glass, and she shatters into a million pieces. Of all the crossfire examples of cinematic history, <laughs> I, I love that you knew you'd the love Pokemon it. movie. <laughs> no other examples in cinematic history. Nope. Continue. <laughs> the witches are horrified at the unintentional death of their mentor. As they fight, they sing the titular song, The Witches of Oz. Alphabet eventually gets the better of Nessa and casts a spell, banishing all other witches from entering her new Emerald City. Nico, the Flying Monkey King, is at her side as the Flying Monkeys chase the fleeing Nessa out of Alphabet's new kingdom. Oscar and his companions arrive at the entrance of the, to the Emerald City. Snufferbucks is dragging an apparently inanimate sawhorse while Oscar carries a box. Oscar and Snufferbucks are quickly arrested by the Winky Guards and brought before Elphaba. Oscar tells the witch that he's brought her offerings, a sawhorse and a jigsaw puzzle. Elphaba is cautious at first, but Oscar works his charms as he and Snufferbucks sing a duet, Gifts! Worthy of a witch! <laughs> and she eventually accepts. <laughs> as, she, as she opens the box, Chigglewicks winks at her. Ugh. And forms, in, and forms in front of her, scaring her. With her stood up, Sawhorse comes to life and kicks her off her throne. Oscar leaps over the fallen witch and plants himself on the throne, calling out Glinda's name. Glinda appears now that the banishment spell is seemingly broken, Elphaba having been deposed by Oscar. She names Elphaba the Wicked Witch of the West and banishes her and her minions back to Winky Country. Fuck off back to Winky Country. <laughs> you fuck off out of here, you fucking green bastard. Awkward. Over the next few days, Glinda helps Oscar build the machine and announces him. The machine being the big thing that lets him do all the projections yeah. and the amplifying of his voice and stuff. <laughs> that people rage against. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Glinda helps Oscar build the machine and announces him to the public by singing a version of We're Off to See the Wizard called The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. He introduces himself via the big green floating head and speakers and the audience cheers. Glinda, pleased that her plan worked, 
disappears and leaves Oscar to rule in her stead. We fade to the banished Nessa, floating above the rebuilt Munchkin City and looking down the yellow brick road to the Emerald City in the distance. Seething with jealousy, she stomps her ruby slippers and her anger brews a nearby storm. On the horizon behind her, a tornado begins to form, moving towards Nessa and the camera. Oh, so you are doing a sort I'm, of I'm, I'm doing a thing where it leads mm. straight up to, yeah, the Wizard of Oz. So again, as I discussed, it's the idea of, we are cementing the idea. This isn't like Dorothy having her moment of like, is it real, is it not? It's like, no, she was brought here by this event of like these squabbling sisters. I think that's actually, yeah, I think it's quite cool. Yep. I think you're, and, and I'm sorry, I'm jumping into this so quickly. Um, I think you're going to have to just tell me that Disney did a big ass deal with MGM. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like like shared rights or something because... Shared rights? Hey. Oh, yeah. that's a pun. So no. Um, she she, yes, she I, was the linchpin that allowed Disney and MGM to... I, I wonder if it's a, like Manelli schmoozing sort of anything. Just like get this mm. done. To be fair, because... to be fair, this is not a Disney production. This is a Henson Company production. Henson Company are not currently owned True. by Disney. They are in talks, <laughs> but they are not currently owned no, no, by no, Disney. No, I get it. I get it. And that's the they, thing that, yeah. Jim Henson could speak sweet nothings into MGM's ears and try and that's, convince that's them to get point. something. That's so it's not Disney for the record, mm. but yeah, if, if it yeah. was done no, no. 80 months later and he had survived, it might have mm, been. But, mm. no, but I actually fully see what you're saying. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, again, let's just assume for the, for the conceit of the show. Sure. I don't want to be argumentative. I think you could... Let's face it, MGM will sell it to somebody. It will happen. I don't know. Uh, that Maybe never. Make it. They're there. No, no, no. <laughs> They've got very little left. The Hobbit <laughs> didn't work out the way they wanted to. They've only got Bond. True. Um, it's not. It's not one of the majors anymore, really. And I'm not besmirching MGM for no reason because it's not a person. Um, but also at the same time, I love uh, Dave Metro though. He's my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, without that, I think you've told a very interesting story. I rather like it. The focus being switched. It's very 80s. I think making a musical is a very smart idea. I think the nostalgia you mentioned for the 50s, I think that could play in very heavily. That could work very much in your favor. The fact there are so many versions and they're all shit or not very well received. But this is a big sort of uh, star-studded kind of thing. I think, yeah, I think it's got a lot of potential. My, my worry is the return to us. But it is... So close? Yeah. Yeah. That was what I mentioned It's so close to it. But I would hope that, like I said, that one flies under the radar and this is the one people give a shit about because it's Jim fucking Henson. It's the guy who did Labyrinth. It's the guy who does the Muppets. It's the Sesame Street guy. Here we go. There's a strong history in Hollywood of people coming into the same idea at the same time. We talked Mm. about this. Probably doing season content about it at some point. The notion of Wyatt Earp and Tombstone coming out at the same time. Armageddon and... Deep Impact. Uh, Deep Impact, exactly. Yeah. There's so many versions of like, how the fuck did you both end up doing this? Because mm-hmm. like, it gets around Hollywood, this is how it happens. Yeah. This is also nothing like Return to Oz for the record. Like, mm. in terms of plot and stuff, some of the characters obviously cross over and it's got puppets and stuff and, and live-action actors and puppets combined. Mm. But it is, I, for want of a better phrase, kind of what I did with my Logan pitch and my solo pitch is take some influences and then turn them into something original. Mm. I've taken bits Pretty and pieces nice. from here, some some character names from there, mm. some some character names that aren't even in the films yet or whatever, and then churned them into something that I have written that is not an exact copy of anything else, basically. This is my kind of 
and then gone mad and put it in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like it. Sorry, I keep wincing because I think if I smile and do it at the mic for you, I look like Joseph Stalin. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. I don't like that. (laughs) Can't avoid it. Uh, I have a I have a question. Sure. When do we? So we've obviously we've got kind of parallel narratives of the young uh, witches yeah, and the older witches. Yep. When we get to stuff like quite near the end, for example, um, the bit where Madame Morrible dies, mm. are you picturing that as being young witches or older witches? There. That that's young witches. That is still young witches. Oh. Because they're, they're they're working together to mm. build the Emerald City, yeah. so that is that is young witches. I think there's 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 a there's a slight problem, or well, not problem, but a kind of an interesting mm. way in which the story is played out. In that the young witches get a lot more of the drama to play out. It seems they do, and they the actual and the actual guys, kind yeah. of heavy, your, your heavyweights, your Meryl Streeps, um, mm. are. More, more secondary. Like Meryl, like Meryl Streep spends a lot of time hanging out with puppets, um, <laughs> which I'm not sure. I know she's like, <laughs> like she does like death. Sorry, sorry, Meryl, we all love you. <laughs> she does death becomes you. Uh, death becomes her around this time, yes. which is kind of the closest in tone to this kind of thing. But I don't know if she'd with Goldie yeah on. with Goldie <laughs> on. I don't know if she'd oh yeah, of course, yeah. be up for doing something so light. When when she's really like like late eighties is like actor actor Meryl Streep at her mm. kind of peak yeah. in a lot of ways. That's fair. That's um, pretty fair. She's she's done like Sophie's Choice yeah. beforehand as yes. well. I, mean, I say couple seven years. That's like that's like that's as dark as an yeah. acting go. I guess. And like obviously now she's settled into a place where she's willing to do like Into the Woods and various yeah. Mamma Mia's and stuff like that. But um, that's a very interesting. But point. I do. But yeah. I, but I still yeah. I really like the casting of her there. Um, I really like, but, we, but she might not say yes. Yeah, I really like Cher. <laughs> I was actually going to Nessa. I was going to float a mm. potential different one because I'm not sure about Goldie. Please Horn. do. Goldie Horn's my only one. I'm like, mm. I was going to throw out Bette Midler. Oh, very interesting. interesting. You know, very yeah, I'm down, down for that. Um, She's appropriately over the top. Yeah, I was going to say stuff. Michelle Pfeiffer, but I like Bette Midler. Because I think Bishop has two witches this week as well. I think it's too. Yeah, similar. plus she'd be a bit too young, I guess. Yeah. So the the older Possibly, witches are in their forties, yeah. mm. and the younger witches are late teens, early twenties. Yeah. yeah. Uh, supposed to be like a twenty year age gap, basically. Yeah. Five five would be like I, smack in the middle, I think. Yeah, she'd be thirty something probably. Yeah. So yeah, she would still be a bit. Too you could have her younger. be the youngest. Like, yeah. So well. You, um, um, I had an alternative to Winona Ryder, funnily enough, that I, my original casting. Mm. Was Jennifer mm. Connolly, ah. but I thought like, ah, yeah, I can kind of see that. But Winona Ryder is that kind well, of like Winona Ryder plays mm. Cher's daughter in Mermaids, doesn't she? So Correct. clearly, they're, they're, I, and they're, I think which that is, is good casting, which is next year in this thing. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. I think I, there's a lot of crossover of casting. Yeah, I think I think that casting really works. Um, yeah. I'm not sure who I'd get to play a young Bette Midler. Um, but, yeah, Diane Lane was the one I was least confident on on the on the young yeah. actresses as well. In terms, she can sing. I know she can sing, yeah. but like, and she's a she's five or six years older than the other two. Mm. Yeah, for, at that point, you could kind of play them all as like twenty year olds, yeah. but but still, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. There's a couple a couple of weird things in there. I'm like, mm, yeah, I had a couple of different ideas, but I, I quite like the Bette Midler idea just to go full, fully camp it up and go mad. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. When else can you use Bette Midler in a sequelizer? Yeah. Pitch? 
Probably yeah. all the time. Stick her in a mech. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, she was in my thing picture. <laughs> Bet Meckler. Uh, <laughs> it's a pun, but I'll allow it. You're the wind beneath my Gundam wings. It, it's an old code, <laughs> but uh, I'll allow it. Gotta love that Gundam wing joke there, man. Gundam wing that was very good. Yeah. Um, um, I think for a young Bet Midler. Quickly Google's young Bet Midler. I was, no, I, the amount of times I Google like actresses born in 1970, yeah. <laughs> actresses born yeah. in 1971, <laughs> actresses born in 1968. Like fuck's sake, actresses it's, born it's in difficult. 1968 who can sing. <laughs> fucking hell. Okay, right. Yeah. That's the other thing as well. The singing thing. They've got to be able to sing. Like, right, I mean, the other right. thing that you could do as you made it a musical is, is look to musicals and perhaps not so, yes. someone who's necessarily a bigger star but who comes from a theatre background this could be their feature film debut yeah and uh, yeah you could take somebody from musical from stage mm. I don't know stages that well and musicals tricky, that well yeah. I'm mostly pulling from from on screen mm. actors and, and mm. actresses but yeah there, there's no reason you couldn't pluck someone out I could make a very bold a, suggestion if you like sure Idina Menzel is uh, born in like <laughs> 1971 isn't she probably <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's do a young Adina Menzel. I don't think she could play uh, her yeah. medal and she'd out sing him in a very different way. I don't know what she was doing at the time, yeah. but I was just thinking to myself, like, huh, she's at that age. I nearly put um, Defying Gravity in this, just <laughs> as a bit of a joke. But. Um, yeah, so I, I'm wondering if we can actually do a thing where a lot of films do this anyway, where you have kids playing, well, the kids, the, the younger actors, playing the first couple of paragraphs of the, of the pitch, basically. And then you have the older actors playing a, through costume and hair, mm. playing a, the younger version and then playing the older version. Because people will come sometimes accept that kind of stuff. In the same way that if you think about, say, Once Upon a Time in America, the, the very last, well, the final Sergio Leone film, where you have a young person playing young noodles and then you have Robert De Niro playing different ages of that character mm. upwards. You have, the, you have the, this is the kid teen version and this is the 20-year-old, mm. 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 70-year-old, all played by Robert De Niro, or alternatively James Woods, or whoever's in the film. That kind of thing. Um, I think people will say, yeah, no, I mm. get it. She's the teenage version. And then Cher plays a young Cher and an older mm. Cher. Um, yeah, that could work. You might get away with that, but in, in terms of like courting... I, I'm, I'm not necessarily married to the two timeline yeah. thing. No, it's, no, no, I think it's good. Splitting yeah, up no, is, I, is, makes I, sense I, to me, because yeah. you, you could have that and develop. Like, yeah. the witches in training, and then they become witches, and that all kind of happens while they're in the... The actor handover. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that might work personally. That could work. And like you said, Tim, where there's the confusion there with the when does that happen kind of yeah. thing, you could have that mm -hmm. as kind of a midpoint where it's quote-unquote young share. <laughs> being yeah yeah that makes sense i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out an an idea uh which you've kind of already done and we discussed like Post -apocalypse. uh glinda glinda as as the fairy tale cia <laughs> i quite like the idea of where you've got them the three witches all being sent off and nessa and Elphaber immediately take this quite uh or very quickly take on this kind of um militaristic approach to yeah uh, mm securing their power and stuff like that i wonder if you could maybe make glinda even more of a arsehole an arsehole uh a morally complicated character and and at the beginning you have it as all three of them are intending mm. to kind of supplant the rulers but she wants to, to do it in a kind of tyrants kind of in thing. a kind of more subtle way like power behind the throne kind of thing the little finger kind of thing yes and then 
Mm. The, but the other that two are like... That would also give Meryl Streep more of a thing to, to sort of... Yeah. And then, and then yeah. Yeah. Oz becomes like her replacement when it becomes clear that she can't use the um, the winkies or whoever it is. I like it. Yeah. The, the quadlings. <laughs> quadlings. Quadlings. Glinda is quadlings, yeah. The fuddles or fuddled cum jig. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think I think like... I think it's a really strong pitch. I think having the three sisters or three witches be... Two of them are the, sisters. Glinda's two of them not. Are sisters, yes. She could be. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I'm happy the for three, them to be the three th- sisters. It doesn't really The three witches yeah. Yeah. as the core of your story, I think, is 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 the smartest decision. Like, Oz so is such a... Yeah. Like, like we said earlier, like, Oz is a charlatan. And so... His story isn't interesting because... We know he's a fraud. Yeah. Yes. Like, and we, why and would you go and see the the boring man when there's all this magical shit happening? And it's, by, it's, by, it's back to three hundred again of like, look at all the cool shit that's happening. That you're not mm. watching. You're stuck with us. Here's the yeah. mediocre bullshit with James Franco. Suckers. <laughs> and by the fact that he is the only other person who's supposedly from like the quote unquote real world, mm. like a you're gonna you're gonna drag in those complications of like, well hang on, does this mean the real world is real and this it's all a dream or it's not a dream? No, it's I never address the real world. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Which is very <laughs> smart. So it's not like, oh he he passes out and he becomes a thing. Nope, fuck that. We're all we're in Oz the whole time. Yeah. If you if you reduce his role, you get rid of those questions. And like the interesting the place where the story is to be told is Oz. Like, so, like, who gives a fuck about the real world, so to speak? Like, Tell and, that to and return so you, to Oz, Tim, because the and first so you might, half an hour of that film is in Kansas for some reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you might as well focus on the witches because that's where there is the interesting story to tell. It's also representation. Like, mm. the fact that we turned one of the most successful films that has a female lead and a female antagonist Mm. And it's like so in- inspirational to like young girls to get ruby slippers and all this kind of shit. And you, <laughs> sure, you know what I mean? I'm I'm being mm. facetious there, but you know what I mean? Like, mm. and then be like, yeah, let's put James Franco as the protagonist for the other film. Yeah. Really, you, who's you a wanna... puppeteer of all these people? He's a min- master manipulator. Yeah, yeah like, you, That's not a not a good character. You want you want you want people to to find him and yeah, aspirate? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? I don't mm. fucking know. From Miles the Great yeah. and Powerful. I want the story and kind of, again, inspired by Wicked, the three witches are the key and the core to the whole thing from mm. where I stand. And we know literally nothing about the Wicked Witch of the East, apart from the munchins go, oh, thank goodness she's dead. Ding yeah. dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> witch, <laughs> she wears the witch, socks. Witch. That's all we know. She's got yeah. crazy stripy socks, which are definitely in my film, by the way. She's, she's <laughs> full on. We've got Goldie Horn and big stripy socks. And... The red slippers, and you know that the Wicked Witch of the West is coming to get those slippers because they're a magical focus, and she would mm. get some of her sister's powers or whatever. That's basically yeah. mm. that's all you know about her, and all the other shit is just interpreted from Baum's books or just made up mm. or some other bullshit. Because she's in charge of the flying monkeys and Oz the Great and Powerful for some reason. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. And Rachel Vice is just picked up and carried off by flying monkeys, like. Why? What? What's she? Why has she got flying monkeys? What's this got to do with anything? Yeah. You just needed to shoehorn in the fucking flying monkeys because they're an <laughs> iconic part of the Oz visualization kind of thing. It's like, oh, yeah, and that film gets so many little things like that just wrong from like the continuity uh, of the first. Oh, one. let's put scarecrows in the field. 
that they're going to lure the army in because yeah. scarecrows is a thing. Because it's a scarecrow. There's so many things I keep forgetting. Like all I remember, all I'm hearing now is is hearing uh, Mila Kunis saying, "Curse you!" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, her performance uh, is terrible. She was. She goes not, full bad guy yeah. in like eight seconds, and suddenly does that. <laughs> which yeah, is like I, I, digitally enhanced laugh. It sounds real fucking auto tuned mm. and bullshit. I didn't mind her when she's before she turns bad, and then Theodora's it, fine. Yeah, yeah. It goes. But she very, goes from as as you mentioned in your review, Matt. She yes. goes from like naught to sixty, and I just need an excuse. A, a bite of an <laughs> apple, literally. Like yeah. yeah. To be the worst fucking person. Yeah. No, I think I think you've had a very difficult task. We, we, okay. We've all had a real fucking difficult We've task. We've said that for every film this season. <laughs> Most God, it's been a real difficult task. God, but, Jack, you've got a... Matt, you know, you've got a real difficult... Tim, <laughs> Tim, you've really real got a difficult, difficult task. task. <laughs> yeah. But following fucking up The Wizard of Oz is something that has been proven to never work despite so many attempts. I mean, you can always say like, I mean... Uh, no one's attempted to make a smoke and aces two that works. As if one attempt didn't work, guess what? Tim made it work. Um, whereas in our case, it's like no, every motherfucker's trying to make this work, and it doesn't, and it never does. You're like, that's a big thing. But I think this is actually quite credible. I think it's quite interesting. I think you made a lot of choices that I think work well, and I think it'd be. In- I think I think the the setting. I think again, right at the start of when you started talking about this pitch, Henson. Yeah. That is such he's a the best. He's the best. That yeah. is. That really is. That can bring out a lot of heart and a lot of darkness. Um, I think that could be really the makeup. And like, I, uh, he, he um, is the he is the key for me. He was the, the he was the yes, yeah, exactly. absolutely. I think the season has been a bit sort of pull the director and you're like yes, that's it. When you describe Chigowitz as a jigsaw man, I was and and two D, I was like okay, and like, I feel like he's gonna be terrifying. Like the bit where like they open up the box and he like winks and then puts himself back together. Yeah, that yes, that feels like it's going to cause some real. That's up there with like the Skeksis and the, and the stuff yes. like that. Yeah, like oh, they're kind of cute. They're also kind of terrifying. Yeah, hey, I'm trying to play on that because the the one of the big things I took away from it and why Glinda is such a key in my thing is everything is so saccharine sweet in the 39 film. Mm-hmm. Everything is just. Everybody's happy and dancing and smiling, <laughs> even when we're all about to die. Everything's fine. We're dancing and smiling. It's like fuck's sake. That's Glinda crazy. is unbearable. She <laughs> is just a fucking just a fucking lollipop of a person who's just there floating about, being all pink and sparkly and fairy godmothery and all this bullshit. And you're like, okay, we get it. And I very much, obviously, as you can tell, I very much played on that. And it was like, okay, we get it. You're perfect. Shut up. Hey, the thirties. Hello, I'm so innocent. And it's like exactly, yeah. Something. Billy Burke is fantastic in that first one because she's just oh, yeah. so she's doing the she's doing the thing. Yeah. Um, and you've also got that with Chigwitz. I'd like to think he thinks he's like a really cool, fun. Like he dances about a lot and hang, <laughs> and is like, hey, I'm really cheerful and stuff. It's like. Uh, you're missing your left leg, Chigowitz. Be like, oh yeah, whoops, and just like put his leg back on. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I have a question about Chigowitz. Mm. Why? No, no. Um, so in 19... Fuck. 85? Okay. Yes, 85. There was the um, young Sherlock Holmes. Oh. Oh. Okay. And you had, and it's one, of those, it's one of those things that gets talked about a lot for certain mm-hmm. film nerds. Because it's one of the first use of an all CGI character, 
uh, before Pixar became a thing. Or mm. And it was the the stained glass window yes. night. Yeah, yeah, I know down. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing this jigsaw, dude? Because I kind of want it to be that. Because it's CGI, but not crap CGI, because it was so early. And to be fair, if you haven't seen it before, the, it's like a 20 second, yeah. time, well, like mm. a minute long clip of the, of the stained glass night. It still looks really goddamn good because it's so very simple. And you're not even doing stained glass. And it's really doing stylized as well. You've, you've got, mm, he's made of glass, so you can kind of get away with the yeah. overtop so I think thing. you mm. could do that. It'd be That's an interesting idea. Sustain he's not for in long. It that much. Yeah. Uh, he's not in it there. He hasn't got that much screen time. I imagined yeah. potentially stop motion or something like that. That's the likely mm. outcome, yeah. yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's or at least a puppet where bits like fall off and then mm. they can kind of like, yeah, through some... Because I'm worried I'm going to see something like that fucking fire dance thing from Labyrinth, which was shit. No, not um, that. Everyone sees that and goes, Labyrinth is great. It's like, it is great. I love Labyrinth. But do you remember those fire dancing things? <laughs> they, look fucking, they look fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's kind of... I could imagine. I could imagine CGI. Yeah, why not? Just as another yeah. sort of like novelty of what's this film doing? It's like it's Henson's last film, and he's putting a foray into proper like big CGI yeah. Pixar kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. That's an interesting, mm. just an interesting hit moment in history, possibly. So, at the top of the show, I mentioned I'd come up with a couple of ideas, and mm. one of them in particular was like, "Oh my god, this is so sequelizery and silly," which is I ended up like going for. I went pretty silly in general anyway. I went pretty eighties. My original plan was to go 70s and do an Alec and make it like a 70s rock opera. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was the original plan. However, it's been done, and I was really pissed off. There is, <laughs> there is Oz, a.k.a. Oz, a rock and roll road movie, a.k.a. 20th Century Oz, which is an Australian <laughs> film from 1976, which is a reimagining of the original 39 film, for legal mm-hmm. reasons, obviously not, but sure. the Dorothy story, basically. And she is like a groupie for a rock band in the 70s. And I was like, I'm going to do an Alec. It's going to, I'm just going to be <laughs> silly. You have mm-hmm. a bunch of bullshit. And like the characters are inspired by like David Bowie and stuff in that film. And I was like, this is going to be so stupid. Mm-hmm. And I went and I was like, oh, it's kind of got a cult following bollocks. And I was like, yeah. I looked at the poster, I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted. Bollocks. Like, it's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to do. I but mean, one. It's already been done. One of the more controversial adaptations that we didn't touch on was the kind of late 90s, early 2000s HBO one where they made it into a prison drama. Oh, and barely. OZ. You know, <laughs> where it's out, Outer Zone or whatever it's called. No, I was just talking about Oz, the prison Oz. drama. <laughs> oh, there's, there's a real one. There's a cyberpunk future one that's really dark. And the, uh, OZ, the OZ stands for Outer Zone and all this kind of stuff. Of course there is. I'm, I'm not kidding. Um. The, f- the fact that you made a joke and I was like, yeah, there's one of those. And you're like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm making a joke. I'm like, I know. There is also one of those. <laughs> there's a fucking pirate version. There's a 70s rock version. There's a puppet version. There's a fucking like African-American musical version. Yeah. There's a prequel mm-hmm. musical based on a book that's also a prequel. <laughs> Fuck, there's every fucking version of Just, Oz in the world. It- Bit of an insight here. When we started talking about like what the season was going to be, and we didn't know who's going to get what film and so on and so forth, immediately I start writing pictures in my head. I kind of can't stop myself. So I I had an actual idea for for a, a, an Oz prequel. It was Matt. It was it was Matt as fuck. I'm afraid. So I won't <laughs> go too much here. Basically, I said 
I know what I do. I released it in 2018. Okay, why would you do that? It'd be Studio Ponoc. It's like, who are they? They're the guys who a lot of producers and things who left Studio Ghibli and yep. formed this new studio. <laughs> she ran and said, oh. I thought, about, so you do like I a, thought about doing an animated version as well. Yeah. 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 I just think it's a good relationship because I think the thing is with, with, with as well as I like a lot of these things which like you are tied to well I have to use fucking Zack Snyder don't I fucking mm. hell with Wizard of Oz because there's been so many versions you can kind of do anything and I think what you've done specifically makes complete sense I like it well that was my batshit 80s pitch for The Witches of Oz my prequel to The Wizard of Oz if you have any opinions I'm sure you do everybody's seen the original and enough people saw the 2013 piece of shit so they probably have opinions as well <laughs> hit us up on various forms of social media we are sequelizers on Twitter Facebook Instagram all that good stuff let us know what you thought if you have any ideas for an Oz sequel or prequel that hasn't been done good luck they've all been done so <laughs> I did what I could with what I had <laughs> and uh, yeah if you have any longer messages you can email us sequelizers at gmail.com and if you want to hit me up directly, I'm JLW Chambers on all the social medias. Matt, what are you on the social medias? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. And you can uh, find me on various social media platforms. I assume the Z there. stands for Zoroaster, right? Mm, Zarathustra. Yeah. I can't believe we've got, <laughs> we've got through this episode and we have made a wonderful Wizard of Stogs joke oh, oh how did i not call it that and cast because i refuse to believe i'm involved in any magic stuff it's a long <laughs> running thing um i can also uh be found on my review site the red right hand at code.uk and you can read reviews including the also great powerful one which we've quoted a few times and actually i think i still stand by um for the most you part. can also yeah, sure. go to cheesemint.com and see the things that i make um, sometimes starring me and tim yeah <laughs> very true so again at this time of recording Super Happy Kill Time is up for a load of awards again, which is very nice. Um, very, very happy about that. So yeah, check it out, please. And Tim, you, uh, what you got going on over there? Uh, mine's, nice, mine's nice and straightforward. If you want to come see my, my quadling, my fuddler, <laughs> and my winky, uh, you can find them all along with uh, various opinions about comics, films, etc. on Twitter, trivia underscore lad. Um, which is where I put pretty much anything that I'm doing. Um, however, if you'd like to support us as a show, there are many ways you can do that. You can mm -hmm. review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform of listening that you use to get those podcasts shot into your ears and brain. <laughs> uh, if you can spare the money, which we obviously realise not everyone can do at the moment, but if you are able to, uh, you can go to sequelizers.com store where you can pick up a T-shirt or a print of some of our past uh, uh, films illustrated by the amazing John Scarrett. Mm -hmm. You can also go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and support us at various levels. You can get access to ad-free episodes early access you can vote on future episodes you can uh get access to realms and realms of bonus content far more than the four realms that the nutcracker rules over uh hey. there's there's kingdoms of multiple i don't know what i'm talking about anymore <laughs> anyway there's a there's there, a lot of weird outtakes in this there's episode there's a so. <laughs> lot of bonus content on there uh full basically full episodes um yes. And uh, you can also join our Discord, our lovely community 
uh, of like-minded fans uh, who chat about the episodes, our upcoming stuff, and films, TV, music, comic books, politics, art, etc. Pretty much everything. Yes. All the links for that are on sequelizers.com. They're also in a pinned tweet on our Twitter page. If you want to go there, you can find all the lovely links to basically everything and all the sequelizers you could possibly need. But speaking of Patreon, we have a few people to thank before we go. The executive producers, Stuart Main, Jonathan Firth-Clark, and last but not least, Mike Salvia. So that is it for the penultimate episode of Prequelizers. Strap yourselves in, folks. There's an epic season finale coming. More whimsical, magical bullshit coming your way. There's a tease for you. It is our longest ever episode. And that that might include the Oscars. Maybe not. But maybe it's certainly our our longest, you know, central episode, prop full episode. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. So you're going to get bang for your buck with episode 12. But that's it for episode 11. So we'll see you next week for the season Mm. finale. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We're off to see the wizard. The wonderful wonderful wizard wizard of of (laughs) stogs. Hello. Get out. (laughs) 